Hello, everybody. Bradley here, and it is finally time on a Let's Dive Deep podcast to hop into the world of Westeros. Rachel and I are here today to talk to you about House of the Dragon, episode number one, titled The Heirs of the Dragon. This episode was written by Ryan Condal, directed by Miguel Sapochnik. We have the two showrunners taking charge for episode one. It's just a delightful episode of television. The conversation Rachel and I had about it was delightful as well. If not, it's, it's a Let's Dive Deep length podcast. It's about two and a half hours. Before we get started, before we hop into the conversation about this episode, just a reminder, this episode will contain adult content. House of the Dragon is a show made for adults to watch, and so our podcast is made for adults to listen to. So please do not listen to this podcast around children. If you choose to do that, that is a decision you're making. I won't hold it against you. However, I just want to do a disclaimer. That's not how uh, this podcast is intended to be listened to. And finally, I want to talk about spoilers really quickly. Uh, Rachel and I have seen all of House of the Dragon. Ideally, for season two, we can go episode by episode, but just the nature of when we're doing this, we have already seen the show. We are doing our best not to intentionally or unintentionally spoil anything in future episodes of House of the Dragon or from Fire and Blood, which is the source material. Just be on the lookout a little bit, though, because this isn't a true kind of episode-by-episode watch-through, because we both have already seen the show. We have dedicated the last section of this podcast, and this one it's about the last five minutes, uh, to a spoiler section where we will go and intentionally spoil things, and that'll be, you'll be flagged before that happens. You will know you are entering the spoiler section, and will be given an opportunity to opt out of that section before we hop into it. So you should be good here if you have not watched the show before. However, I just wanted to give people the heads up that we have both seen the show, and that presents like an awkward little bit of intentionally trying not to spoil spoil things for people. The last thing I want to talk about is all of the stuff in the show notes below. There's a variety of things you can check out. If you would like early access to these podcast episodes, uh, there is a Patreon there you can check out as well. I think that's it. That's all, though. Let's hop in to talk about episode one of House of the Dragon, titled The Heirs of the Dragon. Rachel, I think the only place to start at the beginning of House of the Dragon is how we felt about this episode. So we've done two things. We've kind of jotted down our overall thoughts and we've kind of jotted down a score out of 10 for the episode. So why don't you kick us off? What are your overall thoughts on this episode of television? And what score did you give it? All right. So I have, I gave this one a really high rating. I gave it a nine out of 10. I think partially very high praise, especially I think because usually when you go nostalgia, it's like a fond memory, but I was so burned by the end of Game of Thrones that I was really prepared to hate this. And it took me a couple weeks to actually get the motivation to watch it. But it was so good in contrast to how bad the end of Game of Thrones was um, that it was just so much fun for me. Um, And it gave me everything that I wanted from Game of Thrones, which was just more dragons. And it was so fun to go back to the world. So just as a combo of all that, had to give it 9 out of 10. I'm right there with you. I'm going to give this an 8.6, maybe a bit of a tougher grader, but 8.6 for me is is incredible. I think if you're in the 8s, you're in that like great television category. If you're in the 9s, you're in that kind of elite hierarchy of television. I think this episode slots so far into just great TV, and it has everything I want out of a, a Game of Thrones-esque, like the Song of Ice and Fire kind of canon world that's being built. What do they call it now? What is it called with the Marvel? Like the, what's it called with Marvel? Oh, like the Westeros Cinematic Universe. Yeah, the Cinematic Universe. <laughs> like in the Westeros Cinematic Universe, um, this episode slots right in. It's everything that I want. It has the fantastical. It has the scheming, the dreaming, the dragons, the fire, the blood. But it's all grounded in real people that are, aren't relatable in the sense that I live in 2023 and not in the world of Game of Thrones. But their motivation 
motivations and their kind of personality traits and those types of things are quite relatable. And when they're not relatable, there's something I can really get stuck in and understand and and kind of really kind of cling on to within the episode. I was also burned by the end of Game of Thrones. I softened on, I've softened on it a little bit since then. Um, but coming back was scary. I was day one watching. I was Sunday night, day one watching House of the Dragon, so I wasn't that scared away. Um, but a healthy dose of nerves uh, came across as the episode was starting. And by about minute 10 or 15, I kind of felt, okay, we're in good hands. This is going well. Uh, it's going to take, if they do mess this up, it's not going to be in this episode. So I can kind of just kick back, relax and enjoy it. And once I kind of had that mindset and could just enjoy it. And I've watched it so many times since this episode of, of TV just rock. So I think what we're going to do now is is move into the what we're calling the water cooler here. We're just going to chat about the episode. For those of you listening, we might go in chronological chronological order. We might not go in chronological order. We might jump around. Who knows? We're just kind of riffing here. Um, the one thing you do need to know, though, is the spoiler warning. Um, Rachel and I, because we're doing this podcast after the first season of House of the Dragon, have seen all 10 episodes of House of the Dragon. What this means for us is we will not intentionally spoil anything that happens after episode one. We may even throw some fun little things in there to lead you astray to prove our non-spoileriness to listeners who are listening one episode at a time however uh, we're not perfect people and this is not how the world works uh, we we just know where things are going and know where characters are going to end up and which things are important and which things aren't important and those types of things and so we might just accidentally um kind of really dive into the things that you as a as a watcher going episode by episode might be like are we sure that's important but rachel and i just kind of know it is and so we're latching onto it so we apologize for any incidental spoilers but we will try our best not to outright spoil anything that happens in House of the Dragon past episode one. Same goes for Fire and Blood. We have both read Fire and Blood. We will spoil Fire and Blood to talk about the show and book differences if it's necessary up until the point that this episode goes to, but nothing past this episode. However, everything from Game of Thrones is on the table. If you have not watched Game of Thrones, it's been out there forever. You can go watch it. Watch up to like end of season six, maybe, and then pretend the other two don't exist is maybe a good plan. Um, but but everything there is 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 good to go and good to spoil. So if you have not watched Game of Thrones... And you do not want that spoiled. Uh, I recommend not listening to this podcast because we might spoil it. Rachel, does all that sound good to you? Sounds good to me. I'll try my best. Perfect. We start this episode at a great council. What a novel idea. King Jaehaerys has been ruling forever. He's done a good job, all things considered. People love him. There's lots of peace. There's lots of prosperity. I think he ended up being king for something like 60 years. Um, but but it's, it's the ancient old times and Targaryens are doing Targaryen things. And there's a lot of dead sons that didn't quite make it to the Great Council. So Jaehaerys has a problem in so far as that he needs to choose an heir. And if you have read Fire and Blood, you know the succession up until this point has been uh, just wonky at best. You had Aegon the Conqueror come in and then Aegon's son took it over. And that was cool. Pretty easy transition. Uh, and that was Anus Targaryen, which is awesome. And then old King Anus, uh, he got... His son, Aegon, did not get the throne taken in like a normal secession. Magor the Cruel came in and was like, nah, fuck you, I'm gonna take that. And then Jaehaerys came after that, and so there's just been a, some succession wonkiness that we need to cover off. And Jaehaerys has decided the best way to do that, the only reasonable way to do that, is to bring all these highfalutin lords into Harrenhal, the only place big enough to... Uh, fit them all and a place that got burned by dragons so there's a little bit of showboating there and he needs to ask them all who do they want to be the heir rachel we have two options there are two choices that the show gives us we have uh Rhaenys targaryen 
who by all accounts seems like she'd do a great fucking job. But she's a woman. So they go with Viserys Targaryen, who we will adjudicate the kind of job he does since he will actually be the monarch over the next uh, uh, few episodes here. So we will be talking about him quite a bit. Um, what did you make of the Great Council? Were you happy to be here? Prologue, happy about it, not happy about it? Would have just rather jumped in? Would have liked the whole season of the Great Council? What are your general vibes? I like the job that it does of kind of setting up the situation that we're in going forward. Because yes, Viserys is, will be the king. He was chosen to be the king. We see him doing his monarch job this episode. But there's unrest. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't really his inheritance. And there's a lot of dissatisfaction about it. You can see it on Rhaenys's face as soon as the decision is made. And coming from those 60-odd years of peace that we had with Jaehaerys, now coming into something that's a little more, well, less solid, I think it does a really good job of saying, this is how we got here. And this is what you have to deal with moving forward. So I, re I really liked how it kind of, it got you up to speed so fast and then it framed everything for you. So you had uh, some reference. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the Great Council is one of the things that I feel so differently about having seen the whole season instead of just watching it the first time. Um, overall, though, now that I have seen the whole season, perfect Great Council sets up everything in like less than five minutes. You know who you need to know. You don't know who you don't need to know. Um, one of the things I love most about the Game of Thrones cinematic universe is like the intrigue and the politicking. And so initially I really wanted an episode of the Great Council because if you read Fire and Blood, there's just so much there to mine. And I'd love to go behind the scenes of like Corliss trying to convince people to vote for his wife in the Great Council. And what were, what were those negotiations like? And like, it would be interesting to know, was Viserys trying hard to be the king? Did he just get pushed into it? That very much changes how I feel about it. If he was just the best choice and everyone just voted for him and he didn't even want to do it, that changes a lot instead of Viserys possibly being like someone who's really ambitious and going around to try and get these votes and all the rest. How much did some of the other characters we'll meet? How did they play into the Great Council? And so I really wanted that at, when I saw this the first time. But now that I see the first season, I'm like, you know what? I, I do not make TV shows for a living. They do. And they aced it with the Great Council. It's perfect. It yeah. covers everything you need to know. And it really just hits the nail on the head. It's like, uh, women ruling bad, men ruling bad at ruling, but good. And so like, that's how, that's how we're gonna, those are the rules of the game as we get into this story, which focuses on women and men ruling. And, and we have a lot of gender politics coming up in this season. And so, um, that is, it's a perfect way to kickstart that. What did you make of the hilarious? <laughs> I fucking love this. And I hate this so much, just in case you hopped into hot D. You're in for the hot D. It's Sunday night. You're ready to go. But you haven't seen Game of Thrones in a while. What did you make of the 172 years before Daenerys snippet? I just... <laughs> it's just like... If someone just like took a... This is how long ago it's been since Game of Thrones, you fucking idiot. I'm like, That's oh, right. God. And I like sat back in my chair. I'm like, oh, okay, I understand. Yeah, it's one of those, it really hits you over the head. It's a It's a bit yeah. much. However, I think the thing that I have come around to loving about it is it, it does relate to the correct family, right? I think, yeah. I think if, I don't think people needed the, this is how long it's been since Daenerys was born. However, the reminder that, oh, this is the family that Daenerys came from, I think is a little more fascinating. However, just, 
it's just a lot i i don't know I, I suppose it's harmless it really is harmless but just as someone who definitely knew where we were in time and was watching house of the dragon like really excited for it getting the <laughs> oh what did i think i'm an idiot uh that kind of threw me off a little bit so i've come around to it subsequent rewatches but the first time i was a little bit like what the fuck are we doing like does anyone need this but hey it's been a hot if you if you missed that when you watched the episode just in case they didn't hit you over there with it this is all happening 172 years before daenerys was born and like 185 years 186 years before game of thrones really yeah. kicks off when we see it danny's at 13 yeah 13 yeah perfect all right we're into the episode now great council's done Viserys is in charge. We're kicking off. We've skipped the... Viserys, nothing important happened the first couple of years he was king. <laughs> Fuck it. Who cares? He's been king for a little bit. Um, we get a dragon. I think this is so cool to get a dragon right away. We get Cyrax. We get Rhaenyra. Uh, she's riding Cyrax over King's Landing. Refreshing to see this happen without anything burning for no reason. So that's super great. Um, but what an intro. Sucked me right back into the world. This is this is the first moment where I was like, whew. Okay, I can enjoy this. This is fun. I forgot how much I miss being in Westeros. This dragon ride is incredible. Yeah, and a beautiful shot too, just rising over the clouds to come back down into King's Landing. Um, because I think we spend so much time in Game of Thrones being like, the dragons are dead, the dragons are dead, there are no dragons. And then maybe seeing them once every three episodes. And I think this just really sets the pace. I'm like, this is House of the Dragon. And here there be fucking dragons. So and I loved it. There, here be the fucking dragons. But also, this is routine. No one in King's Landing is going like, oh shit, a dragon. Do you remember like in Game of Thrones? One of the coolest things about the dragons in Game of Thrones is everyone looks at them with like this reverence, this awe. Yeah. It's like, holy fuck, a dragon? Like, those are real? Like, I kind of thought they might be stories or make believe yeah. or whatever. Right. But here, everyone's used to it. And there's like infrastructure, the dragon pit not crumbled. There's dragon keepers, there's saddles. Mm -hmm. Like, Daenerys doesn't get a fucking saddle. <laughs> Daenerys has to, you know what I mean? Like, she's got to figure it out for herself. So the, the idea of this dragon infrastructure, that this is not only um, something that exists in this world, but that it's routine and everyone's used to it. And as Emma Darcy lovely narrated at the beginning, this is the apex of the power of the dragons, right? Like, we are witnessing the story of how we got from all these dragons to Game of Thrones, where we know there are none. We're not going to spoil how that happened, because it's the story we're watching. But we know two things. Here, lots of fucking dragons. We've been told, like... Like, word for word, that this is the apex. It only gets worse from here. That was in the narration. And we know in Game of Thrones, zero dragons till Danny's hatch. So what happened in between? And it's such a perfect way just setting the stage for that kind of secondary conflict, aside from the gender politics of who's going to rule, the kind of next thing, which is, what's, what's what are all these dragons going to do and what happened to them? It's, it's just delightful. Yeah, and... Okay, I, I just thought of this. I need to bring it up. How was Danny with the Dothraki for so many years? Literally horse riding people. And they never made her saddles for the dragons. I don't understand. I get why that wasn't thought of. Everything they have is made of leather. Sure, I, I just think that I, I get I get how you miss it, right? You're Danny. The first time she hops on Drogon, I believe it's kind of an accident. Like he kind of comes yeah. to save her, and she doesn't like. It's not time to be like, hey, can I have a saddle? This is a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> and then once you've done it once, and there's no saddle, and it works out, like then you're kind of locked in. Do you know you do you know you need what you don't have? Like if she's never ridden a dragon with a saddle, does she know that she doesn't have it? You know what I mean? So I think it's fine. Um, Rhaenyra lands. 
on Cyrax. We get the Dragon Pit, Dragon Keepers thing. They're speaking Valyrian. It's cool. It's awesome. Um, we get uh, Dougal Mackenzie from Outlander as her personal bodyguard. So I'm fucking into that. I have so many questions about how the Kingsguard work. There's only seven of them, but they guard people that aren't the king. But they also apparently never sleep. <laughs> I don't know how this works. But one of the Kingsguard is Rhaenyra's personal bodyguard. So that's cool. And he also plays Dougal Mackenzie in Outlander. And then we meet Alicent, one of my favorite changes from the book. Uh, Rhaenyra has a best friend. In the book, Alicent's 10 years older than Rhaenyra, um, which is which is his own set of interesting. The, 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 the source material is genuinely fascinating on its own. This change for the show is so much better, giving Rhaenyra a best friend. And not only that, they, they are charmed by each other. They're... they're you're so clearly friends, but there's these differences between them that's so clear as well. Allison, terrified of the dragons, does not want to do any of this shit. Later in the episode, we see the studying that there's differences between them. Um, there's some differences we'll talk about later when they come up. So yeah, just fascinating relationship. A little bit of sexual tension between them. Both actresses have said they played that out. They're like, yeah, we wanted this to feel like maybe, maybe in a different story, in a different world that we could have been dating or whatever, and that would have been great. And so I like, just love the vibe between them. Yeah, and I think regardless of how you want to interpret, you know, their love for each other, that's it. That's it, though. It is just love. Um, you're kind of made to understand that very quickly that these are two girls that, or maybe women that that care deeply for each other. Um, and I really like the job that they do of showing that so quickly. Like if they don't really have to build it up, you just kind of get an understanding of it, and you're invested. I am invested. One of the things that we'll talk about a lot is just how good those two actresses are as Rhaenyra and Alicent. Um, who is it? It's Millie Alcock plays Rhaenyra and Emily Carey, if I'm remembering correctly, plays Alicent. And they're both amazing. And so just two all-star performances. The acting in the show is incredible all the way around. But yeah, they're acting. You just immediately know exactly. You're just picking up right where they want you to with that relationship. I don't need any... I don't need to know how this has gone before this. I know exactly who they are to each other based on this first sequence, mm -hmm. which is just incredible writing and staging and acting and all the rest. Uh, they land and they do their whole little flirty bit about the dragon back <laughs> and all that. And then they go and see Queen Emma, who is very pregnant. We saw Queen Emma a little bit uh, earlier um, when she was pregnant with Rhaenyra, potentially at the Great Council. I'm not sure about the timeline there, but we saw her. Mm -hmm. She was there. She was pregnant before. She's pregnant now. <laughs> and um, they're maesters and everyone are putting her in a bath and ostensibly it kind of looks to the audience like oh she's being taken care of but Rhaenyra is smart enough to point out they're actually just taking care of this baby there's an heir coming or hopefully an heir coming and they just want to take care of that heir. they don't give a fuck about Emma so Rhaenyra is going to care about Emma and that's really nice um but how that goes is Emma's just like oh, what the fuck are you riding dragons for I don't want you riding a dragon while I'm in this condition you smell like dragon go wash up get out of here but it's really cute <laughs> to see this mother-daughter Kind of relationship and we learn later that allison's mother has died so it must be interesting for allison to kind of see this mother-daughter relationship i do we never really get to explore in this episode how allison feels about that but i noticed this time watching that she was in that scene so allison is there kind of hearing this conversation and hearing this kind of relationship so fascinating all around yeah i i i really like emma in this scene and i think the discussion that she has with rhaenyra is that you know, like you can go ride your dragon around you have a dragon you are a dragon rider you can cause ruckus but for women of the royal family like pregnancy is our battlefield and basically you can't abandon me while i'm waging this fight um 
So that might be something that's important going forward. Yeah, it's a really it's a, it's a really uh, quick uh, foreshadow for the end of this episode. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a huge it's a huge kind of uh, through line of this episode is um, that there's the battlefield that the men play on, and uh, ideally that's war, like that's what she's talking about. But in this episode, we get it as a tournament, which we'll talk about later. Um, but yeah, for the royal women, she says, we have royal wombs and we must face the, the battlefield with a stiff lip. <laughs> two, like, two, like, just a microscopic seconds away from a stiff upper lip, which is just such a British thing that I kind of wanted her to say it that way. But that's okay. Um, but yeah, and it's interesting to see how characters view this, because we already have two polar opposite views. Um, Emma views this as a duty, as a responsibility. She doesn't seem to be comfortable or enjoying it, but she doesn't seem to be so taken aback by the fact that it's happening because it is her duty and that's how she views it and she wants to deliver Viserys an heir and later you can see that kind of when she's talking to Viserys about it that kind of despair that she hasn't been able to do that like she really views this as a duty that she tried her best to perform and kind of took it with a stiff lip whereas Rhaenyra partially because she has the right of it and how terrible this is. Um, but also partially, I'm assuming, because she's a teenager and teenagers fucking hate mm -hmm. everything. She's like, ah, why would I want to have babies? I want to ride around with Allison and eat yeah. cake. And this looks like it fucking sucks. So I don't want to do any of this. And I think both are true. <laughs> There's the superficial Rainier as a teenager who wants to ride around on her dragon with Allison and eat cake, as well as she's got the right of the situation where um the 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 fact that this is a duty and a responsibility and this is forced upon women is terrible and so i think rainier has the measure of it here in both ways yeah and we start to see kind of how rainier responds to responsibility and the idea of responsibility being put on her is she really doesn't like the idea of feeling burdened by other people's expectations so Emma tries to talk to her about the fact that like you know, you're going to have to eventually bear heirs. You are the firstborn princess. And she's like, nah, fuck that cake. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much her whole attitude this episode. Um, yeah. And so we learn pretty quickly who Rhaenyra is in relation both to other people and just as herself. Yeah. We move along to the small council. The small council. This room in this show is incredible. Um, I, every time we are in the small council room, I am positively stoked. This is carried straight from Game of Thrones. Like we got into this small council room. And I was like, this is where the good shit happens. This is what separates this show from all the other dramas on the air is the, just how high quality the people in rooms talking is. And it does not disappoint. We just, this is a, a huge ring around the rosy of meeting people. Uh, we meet Otto Hightower, who, oh boy, will we talk about. But we meet Otto Hightower. He is the Hand of the King, and he has been the Hand of the King for two kings now. He was Jaehaerys' Hand of the King for a couple of years before Jaehaerys died, and then he is now the Hand of the King to Viserys, and he's kind of doing that job. We are familiar with that job from Game of Thrones when Ned Stark did it. Um, John Aaron did it, and his dying was what kicked off the Game of Thrones. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, we are aware of this job. So, and so Tyrion does for Danny, Same job, Hand of the King. Um, there's a few other people we meet. We'll cover them as it is necessary. Lionel Strong's kicking around. We'll talk about him a little later. Uh, Corliss Valerion <laughs> shows up. And Corliss has, he's got his priorities. Everyone else is there talking about tournaments and drinking and all that stuff. And Viserys clearly wants to talk about um, parties and feasts and this 
air tournament for the air and whatever. He's telling jokes at the beginning, which I thought was kind of fun. Um, but Corliss, he's got an agenda. The Triarchy is there. Kragus crab feeders about something about this is like the cool version of the Star Wars prequels where they talk about taxes for an hour. Something, something, trade routes, something, something, beggaring the ports. Corliss is going on about it. What I found most interesting in this small council sequence was Viserys as like just um, just part of his character. He's just a fun guy. Like He's just trying to have fun. He just wants everyone to get along. He wants to talk about parties and tournaments. He wants to crack jokes. He doesn't really want to talk about the serious business of the realm. But secondly, he's not even really in charge. Like, he's kind of deferring a lot of his authority to Otto. When Otto tells Corliss that business is done, like, we've taken it under advisement, um, Viserys goes, yeah, yeah, like, what he said. Like, if Otto says it's done, then it's done. So some interesting dynamics kind of brewing up here in the small council scene. Yeah, and I think you can take it kind of positively for Viserys that he's kind of a laid-back, easygoing guy. But then the question becomes, like, can you really be a good king and an easygoing guy? It is and fascinating he- because on the uh, on the face of it, yeah, you want that. Like, you you look at a lot of the people who rule in Game of Thrones and you go, I fucking wish they were a little more laid back and easygoing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you look at the people who are too serious, like Stan. Like, Stannis is a great example. We were like, I he kind of has a point. I just wish he was a little more easygoing, <laughs> right? Yeah. And but So, yeah, there is this mix there where you are constantly trying to find that balance between, you know, being friendly, being easygoing, kind of, you know, having a chip on your shoulder a little bit, just having a good time and, and making people like each other and, and, and caring that people like you. Like, that's a good thing to have in a leader. However, it's always balanced with you still got to lead. Like, you still have to actually lead. And that comes with making the hard choices and making tough decisions and pissing people off. And, you know, you know, the cost of making one person happy is going to be making another sad. And like, can you actually do that? And that's the question that not only in this episode, but just for Viserys in general, um, that is the question that is posed in this episode uh, multiple times. Is, is Viserys up to the job? Can he make the right choice, even if it's the hard choice? And I mean, just from the small council scene, it doesn't seem like he can. Yeah, he and then is... when you're as late. Sorry. He is having a tournament for an heir that is not even born. And a few people point this out to him. And he's like, ah, I dreamed about it. I dreamed. I'm so certain. I had a vision. It's up in my noggin that we are going to have an heir during the, the, what is it? The maester says, like, we've poured over the moon charts. He's like, we got the fucking moon charts. Like, the Jupiter's in retrograde and we're going to fucking. Mercury's in the microwave. Yeah, Mercury's in the microwave. We're going to have an heir at the tournament. It's going to be awesome. Um. But yeah, in this scene, he's he is just simply not really in charge. Like Otto seems to be in charge, and um, Viserys seems to be deferent to Otto. Now we'll come to see whether Otto does a good job, uh, right? Maybe Otto is really good at his job, and maybe deferring to him is a good idea. Maybe it's not. There's so many dynamics we still have to unpack. Um, but yeah, the small council scene really efficiently sets this all up, while still being all the Game of Thrones we know and love, where there's there's just a lot of intrigue and a lot of like trying to figure out who's on what side and who's playing who and what everyone's ambitions and agendas are Mm -hmm. or if there are even different sides to take yet because for all intents and purposes they seem to be relatively united if not just like annoyed with each other yeah this crab feeder thing is the divide right now like there's two camps there is the we got to deal with this this is mainly just corliss and to be fair to corliss we don't learn this in this episode but it's not really a spoiler uh corliss's house is the navy house the trading house the house with the boats that does these trade routes and like (laughs) is one of the first kind of in like drift mark is kind of in like square in the 
kind of route of these shipping lanes. And so um, he his boats are going to the Stepstones and through that area to get to all the, the other places to the east. I'm trying to explain this in a way without a map that also makes sense to people who don't know any of this. Anyways, Corliss is most concerned with the Stepstones on a personal level as well as uh, on a small council thing. So it's not surprising that he's the one who cares most about this. Um, but this is the divide. Like, he cares about the Stepstones and the Crab Feeder. He doesn't drink any wine. He puts his little hand over the gobble. He's like, I'm not here mm-hmm. to get drunk. I'm here to talk business. And everyone else kind of doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, perfect. We move on. What do we move on to? It is Damon, our favorite, Matt Smith, on the Iron Throne. Another just Dougal McKenzie fucking clapper, like, gods be good. Fucking awesome. <laughs> Um, fascinating. This scene is fascinating. First off, I made this point to you when we were watching this together yesterday. Um, if any of my siblings were in charge of fucking anything, I'd be sitting on their chairs. I would be fully whole ass on the chair just for this reaction. Like if you put my sibling in charge of a kingdom and they got a cool iron chair and I can, and just by mere sitting on it, I can piss everyone off. I am certainly going to do that. Um, so Damon's oh, yeah. sitting on the chair. He's lounging around like it's comfortable for him, like he's done it a few times to piss people off. Um, and then he talks to Rhaenyra. Again, such an efficient story here. We learn a few things. Um, Damon's having a little pick at his brother where Rhaenyra's like, yeah, they're holding the tournament for the air. And Damon's like, yeah, dog, that's me, homie. <laughs> like, of course they're holding it for the air. I'm awesome. You know what I mean? Like, that was super fun. We get Rhaenyra and Damon speaking Valerian to each other. In this episode, everyone's just speaking the common tongue. But there's more characters that speak Valerian. Viserys speaks Valerian. Like, this is not a... At this point in time, all the Targaryens and the Dragon Masters and probably a few other people um, speak Valerian. So this is not something mm-hmm. that only those two speak. But they're the only two speaking it um, together. And it's just kind of weirdly intimate for a niece and an uncle. And there's Targaryens. And so I think you're meant to be like, this is kind of weird. But Damon, um, and this is straight from the books, Damon goes on all these adventures on his cool-ass dragon, and he's a badass warrior, and he finds all these little gifts and trinkets and little surprises, and throughout his life, he's been bringing those back to Rhaenyra, and how that manifests here is a necklace. Now, it's the putting the necklace on bit that kind of gets weird. But up until that point, just such a fun introduction to Damon. Yeah, they have such a a cool dynamic right off the bat, because obviously neither of them have you know, that much respect for authority. So Damon, obviously, you walk in, he's sitting on the throne. He's being a jackass right off the bat. Rhaenyra comes in, she just starts chastising him. And they just spar that way until they have that, like, weird little intimate moment. So, like, you can see right off the bat that they have that kind of rapport with each other. And it's a much more easygoing relationship than she has with her own father. Yeah, it's super comfortable. Yeah. It's super like she, because like you get the idea. Like the whole idea here is that they haven't seen each other in a while. Like he's gone on an adventure and found this necklace. Like they're not hanging out every day. And it seems like they both just slide right into this kind of good. I think this is also a common relationship a lot of people have with their uncles and aunts and cousins is that like because you're just one step removed, like you're still an authority figure and you're still part of the family and there's still a lot in common between them and your parents. But they're not actually your parents, and so it's just a lot easier to build that relationship. I don't think that's uncommon in the real world now. So it makes sense to me that they would have a much closer relationship. Also, one of them's separately from the real... One of them's the king of the realm, and the other gets to be like a badass, cool uncle with a dragon. Like, one of those is just easier to get along with than the other. If your dad's the king of the realm, and his brother is just fucking awesome, it's easier to get get, get, um, on with the person that's awesome and not the king. 
Yeah, and I think it would be like a really wholesome, fun, lovely family scene if we didn't have the background knowledge that Targaryens are Targaryens. So the back of your mind, you're always like, eh, do I have to yeah, worry? Yeah, you are always, this? and not just Rainier and Damon, <laughs> just at all times. You're like, all which Targaryens. Targaryens are fucking which Targaryens? And like, even in this episode, I don't know if they say it outright, but we, we, you and I know that Viserys and Emma are cousins, and the that Viserys time. and Damon's parents were brother and sister, and that Jaehaerys, mm-hmm. the last king, had married his sister. So there's just a whole bunch of incest happening and you just kind of yeah but like if you're coming from the if you're keep coming from the books right this is interesting this isn't even really in the game of thrones show because you only get you only get daenerys as the targaryen that's in the show after like the first four or five episodes and she only accidentally sleeps with john like she intentionally sleeps with john but doesn't know that john is a targaryen when she does it so it's technically incest but she doesn't know that when she does it the first time so um, yeah, it's just a it's a new thing that you have to think about when you're watching House of the Dragon or when you're if you have not read Fire and Blood, just Targaryens. They are incesty. And it's not specifically because they like being incesty like Jamie and Cersei, who just kind of vibe with it. Um, it's partly that I'm sure they they don't not enjoy it. However, um, part of it is that they believe whether this is true or not up in the air. They believe that it is their bloodline that gives them the power to ride the dragons which is a far more sensical reason to be pro-incest, where it's like, oh, if we don't have a, a sufficient amount of incest with each other, then we will all collectively not be able to ride dragons anymore is pretty high stakes. So I understand the reason why it's to them culturally acceptable, because um, if, if, you, like, if you're a Targaryen and your whole family's power and prestige and reputation and authority in the world is based on riding these dragons, and separately, it's fucking cool to ride dragons, and the one way that you believe that you can maintain that is through this incest, then I understand why so many Targaryens are so into it. Yeah. It's crazy, though. It's I never get over it. I feel like you, once you get, like, enmeshed in the story, you, you can kind of just, like, vibe with it. I can never really just... Really? Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I just vibe with it. It doesn't bother me. I just... It's fine now. Like, the first, the first run-through... The first run through all the dragon stuff in the books and in the show and everything, I'm like, yep, yeah, okay, this is weird. The second time through, though, I'm like, yeah, it, like it makes sense with the dragons and all that. Like, I get it. Yeah. Maybe it's, I feel like the first watch through, maybe it bothered me a lot. Maybe going back on the second, I'll, I'll lean heavier into the suspension of disbelief. Fair. All right, we are moving on. Um, we get Rhaenyra and Alicent. I'm surprised at how good I'm able to remember these scenes based on just my note is fuck the Septa. Mm-hmm. And I just for you listening, for you listening, this is the note I'm pulling this scene from. Fuck the Septa is the note that I took. Mm-hmm. Um, Rhaenyra and Alicent having a little cutesy meeting in the Godswood. Fucking weird that there's a Godswood in King's Landing. Another thing that we're meant to be like, what happened to this? This was not in the show, yeah. Game of Thrones. Where did this Godswood come from? Where did it go? What's going to happen to it? Also, not in the books at all. Game of Thrones books or Fire and Blood. This Godswood is just made up for the show. Um, so we're going to track it. I'm on a Godswood watch. I want to know, why did they put this here? Are they trying to get Bran in on everything? <laughs> like We got to have a way for Bran to watch all this. Like I don't know what they're trying to do here, but I, I'm curious that they have wholesale added this out of nowhere. It's not mentioned anywhere. The King's Landing had a godswood, as far as I can recall. Anyways, they're at the godswood, a beautiful white tree with the red leaves, iconic. Um, same kind they had in Game of Thrones up at Winterfell and the rest. Uh, and they're just, Rainier's laying on her lap, and it's cutesy, it's a little flirty, and they're talking about studying 
Um, a few interesting conversations here about Rhaenyra's position, but the, the fun moment in this scene is uh, Alicent chastising Rhaenyra for not studying enough and not understanding enough. But then Rhaenyra turning around and be like, I already know this. Like you are, I, I actually have paid attention and I know about the 10,000 ships in this voyage and all the rest. And I'm just going to rip the page out and say, fuck the Septa. Like, it's an interesting dynamic that Alicent is so studious and bookish. And Rhaenyra, who we're meant to believe is not, and is just more of a rebellious teenager, but does know her shit. Like, she's not, she's not so divorced from it that she's not keeping up with her studies. Like, she already knows this stuff that Alicent's reading about. I just found that relationship fascinating. Yeah, and I think, again, it does such a good job of helping us understand who they are. Like, Rhaenyra, as I said earlier, she hates being put upon. But she's not, like, she's not one to completely shirk her responsibilities. She's probably just one to whine while she has to do it. Um, but Alicent, you can see, is so kind of locked in to these rules. And she's like, it's studying time. We have to study now. We can only talk about studying. Um, and so we get a good idea of, like, their contrast. Again, right off the bat, but I feel like I'm just repeating myself. <laughs> Yeah, Rhaenyra never jests about cake, which is just a delightful line. Um, but the other thing here is Allison saying, you know, Rhaenyra saying that she's, she hopes her dad has a son for all that she can remember. That's all he's ever wanted, um, which makes sense in this world for the king to want a, a male heir. So that, that tracks. That makes a lot of sense. And for Allison to say, aren't you worried about your position? And Rhaenyra to be like, not really. I just want to take you on a dragon and ride around and see cool shit and eat cakes. So like, if, if my dad has a male heir, that takes more pressure off of me. Like, I'll be even more of an afterthought. So then I can definitely just hop on my dragon and fly around and eat cake and ain't no one giving a shit. So I I, I enjoyed that that um, conversation from Rhaenyra. And Allison being concerned for her friend. Like, it's her friend and she's concerned about her position. That's nice. I did just think it was such an interesting question, though. Aren't you concerned about your position? Because at this stage, like, Rhaenyra is just the firstborn daughter. Like, Damon is currently the heir. Yeah, uh, it is an interesting question. Because you're wondering what kind of math is Alicent doing? Because I think regardless, yeah. it's still correct that the more children Viserys has, the less Rhaenyra as an individual matters. Because one would yes. imagine, like, we're only one Damon getting fallen off his dragon away from Rhaenyra being... Rhaenyra ends this episode as the heir. Right, but to, if Allison was doing her math in the moment, we're still only one Damon falling off a dragon away from Rhaenyra potentially being the heir. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not. She's not so far removed yet that you can just completely. And she's doted upon. Like I think that's the other thing too. Is like in yeah. this episode, right when she what comes into the small, uh, the realm's delight. Right, realm's but even delight. in this episode, like she's late for her her goblet filling duties in the small council, and Viserys just smiles like. You were you were checking in with mom on Dragonback, were you? You know what I mean? Like she's doted mm -hmm. upon, and everyone loves her. And I think, I think if you're a person with siblings, you'll understand for sure that mm -hmm. you know when when people have multiple kids, there's just less bandwidth for you as an individual. It's, it's not that you're loved less or whatever. It's that the more kids someone has, the more bandwidth gets taken up by those kids, and you get less of it yourself. So yeah, I can understand Allison's concern here. Although if I were Rhaenyra, that sounds fucking awesome. If my parents just all of a sudden have less time to check in on me. Right, this is what just... I'm saying. I think if you're right <laughs> yeah. here, this is the math. You're doing the math too. And you're like, that's three more people for them to care about. So I can go on to my dragon. Uh, we get we get Chekhov's sore. I 
did not know many things about House of the Dragon other than having read Fire and Blood. However, I know a lot about watching television. And <laughs> if someone's coughing, if someone has open sores, these are all bad signs. If we're trying to find the signs and portents, it's television language. If someone has any open wounds, this is very bad. Uh, Viserys has an open back wound. Um, they are trying to figure out the Citadel, what it could possibly be. He got it, he says, from uh, sitting on the Iron Throne, which we'll talk about a little later. However, Otto in this moment, this is the first moment where you're kind of like, okay, like where is Otto, where do Otto's loyalties lie? How good is he at his job? Like um, by the end of this episode, when we talk about his last small council scene, we really get thrown into like, where's Otto's loyalties lie when he sends Alicent to see the king? But at this moment, we're just trying to figure out who's doing their job and who's doing it properly or incorrectly or whatever. And Otto in this moment, doing a decent job. He, he's he got the right of it here. You don't want people to know the king has open wounds. You don't want that. You don't want you don't want any unnecessary weakness to be shown by the person in charge. And especially, we should talk about Viserys here, doesn't have a dragon. He is the head of House Targaryen. He is the head of the realm. He does not have his own dragon. He does not have, personally, the ability. He has the ability. He has ridden a dragon before. But he is elected to not have this powerful symbol and object at his disposal as the ruler and head of the family. And so he has less room. A daemon... He can be a little impotent and show a little weakness and fuck everyone up on his dragon. So everyone's like, okay, let's not bother with that. That's fine. Viserys <laughs> has kind of decided not to do that. And so, yeah, Otto's doing a good job here. Doesn't want people to know about the king's sore. Although, Rachel, as someone who's also watched TV, we can both agree sore very bad. So bad. You don't want open sores. Like, there's this minute amount of screen time. HBO has a budget. It's a high-budget show. But if they're budgeting for open sores, it's bad. Yeah. And I do have to give a shout out to like the makeup and special effects team because I do not have the stomach to see a lot of gore in my television shows. I usually have to turn away. Uh, Bradley can vouch to that. I couldn't. You struggled really with this yesterday. It. You definitely struggled with the open source. Uh, it looks it looks so good. well good in quotations. It looks so realistic. The quality of the uh, special effects makeup in this show is sky high. It's unreal. Um, but I also do like that we get to see Otto actually helping. <laughs> yeah, you're, um, you're happy for your scene with Otto <laughs> where he's just doing a good job. There's no there's no selling his daughter off to the king. There's no pulling the yeah. king after his like in the in the the first throes of his grief into the fucking council chamber to talk about. There's none of that. It's just pure this is bad. People shouldn't know about this, which is his job. This is how we play it. Yeah. There's just one, at least, like, he's he's a smart guy. So you get off the bat. He's a smart guy. And in the, at least in this scene, he's using it for good. Yeah. Sucks that to cauterize it. I had a yeah. nose, I've had nosebleeds cauterized and stuff. And even that oh, really, God. even that really sucks. Yeah. It's not nice. That's a thing that happens? All the time. Not to me all the time, but like that's a normal way to fix chronic nosebleeds. You just cauterize. Oh God. Yeah. Wow, we're learning so much today on this episode of House <laughs> of the Dragon. <laughs> Send us an email. Let's dive deep pod at gmail.com if you also had your nosebleeds cauterized if they were chronically happening. Uh, next up, Emma in the bath. Uh, if you if you're listening to this and I'm out of order, I'm sorry. Then I took my notes out of order. I'm just going in order of my notes. So these scenes might not actually be in this order, but I don't think it matters. Um, first jaw, I think this is the first jaw dropping scene where, you know, that you are 
not in safe hands with the world. I, the second Rhaenyra rode Cyrax around King's Landing, I knew that I was in safe hands in the universe, that this was going to be a faithful reproduction of the universe that I really wanted to be in. Um, Viserys and Emma in the bath talking about um, the, the trials and tribulations of them producing heirs. And this scene is beautiful and tragic and haunting and it's so well written and so well staged. And the the first thing that I took away from it before we get into the content of the discussion is it's just it's nice to see people in the Game of Thrones universe in a loving relationship. These are two people that care about each other. They love each other. They want to be in this relationship. This was not super for it. Maybe it was forced upon them, but they've grown to God, Cat and Ned. Like you always got the impression that they actually loved each other. Um, so that was super nice. And they're just able to, as two adults, have a conversation about something difficult without any, like, and there's a bunch of Targaryens in the room. Like, these are two Targaryen Targaryens in the room, and none of them are, like, getting their dragons or shouting or screaming or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just two, like, adults in the room, which I just really, I just loved watching that on the screen. Yeah. I also really like how right right from the first episode for this one, it made me feel safer in this universe, just knowing that there was going to be such a focus on the trials and tribulations of women in the Game of Thrones universe, because I, I hopefully I'm not speaking alone. I really didn't feel like Game of Thrones was a very welcoming place as a young woman viewer. Uh, definitely not. Almost. Almost every episode had some sort of um, really difficult scene to watch. It seemingly just so that it could be there. Um, I found that at least this episode of House of the Dragon, with the exception of one scene, which we'll talk about later, to be a much friendlier and inviting, even if it didn't feel like safe for the characters, it felt much safer as a viewer and... and um, not relatable because I'm not a mom. I haven't been pregnant, but uh, nice to know that the experiences of women were actually going to be explored because uh, we didn't get that in Game of Thrones. Like Catelyn has what five kids, yeah, and we we're just to understand that that went perfectly fine for her, no struggles, easy, great. And just in contrast, now we get Emma, and she's only successfully had one healthy child, maybe two. Um, but it's actually a focus. So I, I really liked that kind of shift in perspective. Yeah. And what are they talking about in the bath? Um, there's a lot of just, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of just like, this is the fun adult talk when he comes up and um, she's like, ah, oh, this is the only place that I can find comfort and all the rest. It's like, these are just mm -hmm. two adults that love each other and that uh, clearly communicate with each other all the time and have like an open and honest relationship. Um, mm -hmm. And what she's saying, she lays out for us the audience, their past experience. Like this, this is some exposition for us to know um, that she has had stillbirths and she has had um, she has birthed children who have died um, after they were born. She's had miscarriages like this. She's had the whole spectrum of um, pregnancy and birth related issues already happened to her. Um, and she says, this is the last one. This is the last one I'm going to do. Like, I'm trying my best to give you an heir. Um, if this isn't the air, then this is the last one and we'll have to figure some shit out. Um, but I just simply cannot do
do this again. I think, and it, I found it interesting. The perspective she took wasn't a physical one. She wasn't like, cause like going into it, she's in physical discomfort. Like this is like, mm-hmm. when she's talking about this is the only place I can find comfort. She means physically, like the bath is the only place that I can physically yeah. be comfortable. It was the same when the focus, when Rhaenyra talked to her earlier was about her physical comfort. The line she takes here is more of just an emotional one, right? I'm sure the physicality has something to do that. She's like, I've grieved all the dead children I can. Like, I just cannot mentally go through this again which i thought was an interesting kind of tone shift for the reasons because it shows to me that she truly believes that the physical part of it is the part that she's facing with a stiff lip like this is like it's physically uncomfortable but so is war this is my battlefield battlefields are physically uncomfortable right right but what she's saying is Mm -hmm. i'm mentally like i can't this is too much like i'm not doing this again I'm not grieving any more dead children. Like, this is the last one. And to the credit of Viserys, he's not openly hostile to it. Like, I, I don't think he leaves. We don't get, like, a... But you expect that in this world. Like, this is what you I... Would. You yeah. would. You expect yeah. You expect the men in this world to just be like, what the fuck? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, like, we're just going to keep going until I get in there. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I don't think yeah. you leave the scene understanding that Viserys is wholeheartedly like, yep, fair enough. I have understand the... My wife's mental health is important to me. And I'm going to support that. Like, he's not there, mm-hmm. right? But he's certainly not. You leave going, oh, that went better than I thought that was going to go. Like, it was a huge relief for me when I watched yeah. that scene. And it just ends um, with Viserys. You just get a, you kind of get a look, right? But it's just like, oh, God, he's not, at least he's not openly antagonistic towards that idea, which is refreshing. Yeah. Yeah, and then you also, he's like, even if he did entirely disagree, Viserys isn't, like, conflict enough to actually do anything about it. Sure, that's the other thing about Viserys, <laughs> is you learn pretty quick, like, he doesn't like conflict, he's not having this argument. Right, I imagine he struggles to argue with Emma, I think that's probably true. There's some other oh, fun yeah. conversations here, separate from the baby stuff, though. Um, if you're into the lore, like, saying, um, we already have our Visenya, and trying to figure out who is the Visenya is interesting, you can kind of read into all the different characters that way. Um, but we also get, I believe it's the scene where Viserys talks about his vision. There's a boy in your stomach. The funny line, like, you, like no <laughs> amount of dreams will force a babe to have a cock it does not already possess was fucking hilarious. <laughs> uh, and Sean Brooke just delivers that line. She's only in the one episode, but she absolutely kills every line delivery. Um, but we get some prophecy stuff. Like, I saw the babe. It was born ahead. And it was born with an iron crown and all the rest of it. So we're going to keep track of that prophecy. Um, in Game of, in the Game of Thrones verse, the prophecies are important to keep a track of. And uh, we'll keep track of this one. Yeah, and Viserys, kind of consistent with who he's always been, he's a dreamer. He so thinks he he's a dreamer. More. Well, he would really like to be a dreamer. He would really love to be a dreamer. I think he's, he's trying, he's manifesting his destiny. He is, he is trying to become a dreamer. Whether or not he's there, we'll have to figure out. However, you you only get to know you're a dreamer in retrospect. Because there's two parts to this. Like, one, are you actually a dreamer? Like, are your dreams actually real? And the interpretation is usually where things get fucked up. The Game of Thrones universe is full of dreams and prophecies that are true. It's just the people's interpretation of them are fucked up. So mm. we have reason to believe that this prophecy is probably true. Right. Like if we're taking it at face value in the Game of Thrones, we're not often misled by the prophecy. It's the characters, Melisandre being the main one. Like she's a fucking yeah. idiot. Like she's going to miss, like, yeah, she misinterprets yeah. it and fucks everything up. But yeah, like so we'll, four times. we'll keep track of it. We'll keep track of it. But yeah, there's some prophecy stuff, which is just fascinating in the Game yeah. of Thrones verse. Mm-hmm. Damon? Commander of the City Watch. Damon. He's yeah, commanding the City Damon. Watch. The one thing that you could say about Damon is he understands his job and he's doing it. 
He is fully doing his job as it was written on the job description. Take these city watch people and be in charge of them. Whether you think Damon does a good job is up for debate. But he's got them new. I fucking loved to learn that the gold cloaks were Damon's idea. <laughs> like Damon spent. Of course they were. Like Lord Beesbury's talking about all the money he spent on the city guard. And you find out it was on the cloaks. Fuck yeah. Awesome. Like Damon's out here giving his dudes uh, gold cloaks. This speech, genuinely great from Matt Smith delivering the pump mm-hmm. up. Like the pre-football game. Like, yeah. <laughs> we're going to go into King's Landing. We're going to take every fucking criminal and we're going to fuck them up. And everyone's like, yeah. And like, yeah, let's fucking do it. Let's go. And then they do like their little jog out of the thing and the cloaks are going and In the armor. Fancy cloaks. Yeah, such a. Because now we've seen both sides, like two different sides today. I and mean, it's very effective characterization. We've seen the chill, kind of laid back, the more Viserys esque one when he's on the Iron mm-hmm. Throne. He's a bit more smarmy yeah. and a bit more snarky and a bit more fun and exciting. But mm-hmm. laid back, chatting with his niece, putting on necklaces, speaking in Valerian, like very casual, you know? And then we see the 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 dragon. Like this is the dragon. Like Damon yeah. is a Targaryen, fire and blood, blood and fire. He's fucking he's out for blood tonight, but maybe it'll be fire tomorrow. And he is going, he's going for it. And yeah, people lose body parts. Significant one. It's violent. Yeah, he goes out. But- now we have a discussion to have. Later in this, okay. the ethics of Damon's. So this is a world. There's no real. The justice is just the king's justice. However, this manifests. Mm-hmm. Trials are like ostensibly a thing in this universe, but probably not for the common folk. Probably just for the important people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like these common folk. This is kind of how justice gets done anyway. It's just not usually as vicious and violent. Um, yeah. However, Otto, who we learn in this episode, definitely does not like Damon. Like, despite the good job Otto might be doing, he's definitely going out of his way to undermine Damon to some degree. To what degree that is will be up for people watching to decide. However, um, definitely within this episode, you understand Otto does not like Damon and probably has a good reason not to. (laughs) And then he's going to try and undermine him. Even Otto, in his moment of trying to undermine, does emphasize that the people Damon did round up and do this to were actually criminals. Otto does not come in hot and say, he took all the fucking innocent people and fucked them up. He goes... He took all the criminals and fucked them up. And I'm like, okay, well, if we are a style, if it's canon fact that Damon did indeed just do this to the criminals, then I have less of a problem with it. Like, it's not great. I don't love it. But it's Damon. These are the Targaryens. Yeah, I mean, we can't necessarily hold um, Westeros and Damon to <laughs> modern standards of justice. This is what I was saying. Like, who else is doing justice in a way that we would like in this world? No one. No one is. Justice is stupid in this world. So you know what? Damon's doing his thing. It is. It does seem to be canon within the episode that he actually only did this to criminals, though, which is interesting because it kind of does look like the the scene does nothing to establish that. Uh, The scene just it seems like they're just going after random people. Yeah, I think what what I like uh, that we see about Damon in this episode is that he can be extremely violent. Um, but also, so he's on both ends of this kind of continuum. He's like really chill or super violent. When we do see that violence from him, it's super pointed and usually strategic. He's not kind of willy nilly. He's always he's doing a leader. It for this is a complete contrast to Viserys. He is a leader. He is in charge. He mm-hmm. knows what he wants. He goes and gets what he wants. And whether you agree with what that is, is and how he does it is completely separate from the point is that he is a person yeah. who's in charge of his shit. 
right? Like this is the person who knows what he wants and is going to go get it. And you have to, to some degree, you have to admire that because it is in contrast to Viserys. Yeah. Who is someone who does not go and just do the things he wants to do, despite having all the power to do whatever he wants all the time. Yeah. I think if you put them together into one person, they'd be a great king. Oh, that's an interesting concept. If you put Damon and Viserys together, would they yeah. be a good... Interesting. Maybe we'll table that for the end of the season. That may be a fun end of the season discussion, right? And like a random mailbag episode. Um, mm-hmm. Damon's uh, merciless um, just destruction and maiming of and murder of apparently only criminals, which again, the show said, Otto said that, not me. And I'm going to assume I'll take Otto at face value here because I think he's trying to undermine Ooh. Damon and would have been more than happy to throw in a couple lies should he have had the opportunity. And he chose to say that it was only the criminals that he fucked up. Um, this Damon versus Otto sequence in the small council room is iconic immediately. Before we get to them, a couple of other things that are happening to establish some other characters. You get Lionel Strong and uh, kind of Corliss and some of the other people in the room having a small opinion on whether they thought what Damon did was right or not right, or like whether that's the job or not the job, just to kind of give them some characterization to help us kind of find out who else do we like or not like on the small council. Um, But Damon versus Otto is just savage because Otto is going after Damon and this is what Otto's really good at. One of the things I want to talk about at the end is how much do we think Otto is doing his job versus having a political agenda? Or how much is he kind of choosing to pursue the things that are part of his job that also help himself? Like how clever and kind of manipulative is he? Like is he is he creating circumstances by which he can uh, he could advance himself? Or is he kind of waiting for those circumstances to fall within the scope of his job? And then just abusing those once they kind of fall to him. Because this is that ladder. This is him. Damon went and did something. And Otto sees the opportunity to spurn Damon. But he's not the one who like secretly tried to get Damon to go do this so he could be in trouble. If that makes sense. But this happens. Otto sees the opportunity. He's got a point. He has got a point. It's not nice. It's not what you're meant to do. Like even in this world, you're not meant to just, even if they're the criminals, even if you only attack the criminals, you're not just lopping off penises and heads in the fucking village. Like, that's not... And the town square is not where this is happening, right? So Otto makes a good point. Um, And then Damon decides to come back with, like, hey, man, I got put in charge of this group. Like, look, there's a tournament happening. There's lots of important people here. Do you want any of those people getting into any trouble, getting raped and murdered and stuff? No, you don't. Like, that's your family. You are those important people, so you don't want that to be happening. Right. And separately, if you ever left this building, you'd understand what King's Landing is like. I, who go into King's Landing all the time, understand that it's a shithole with lots of crime and stuff. So I'm going to take care of it. So they're kind of throwing barbs. And then, yeah. And, and is this also the scene where Damon's like, you made me master of laws. Like, you didn't like that. Then you made me. Master no, that's of in the final law. scene. Oh, OK. When I'm Aud- getting out of order. Yeah, no, this is the scene, though, where. Um, one of the things with this Otto Damon dynamic is Otto is so good at this, where he's like making a point within his job, even if it's his own opinion anyway, right? Like, it's all lining up for him, but he's not wrong. Like yeah. Damon should not have been doing what he was doing, and we can all agree on that, right? And but Damon is just wittier and more clever, and understands that his brother just doesn't fucking care and just loves him anyway, and yeah. is just gonna put up with it. And so he's like, "Fuck, I could win this argument, or I could insult your dead wife," which just <laughs> came out of absolutely nowhere. Just that was rude. I don't know. Like you're you're really meant to understand that Damon's not a good guy, 
right? Like whether you root for him in the show, whether the show is putting him on us as a protagonist, he's not a good person. Like he is willing the second he can to just go straight for the jugular and just make like find the rudest, most disrespectful, most awful thing you could say to a person and just jump straight there, which I thought was which I thought was fascinating. Yeah, and I really like the presentation of the characters that that we get right off the bat because they're all very nuanced. Like you get to see what like three different sides of Damon in the first episode, in the first hour, in the first three scenes. Yeah, yeah, and and then you see different facets of Otto. You see it in Viserys, Rhaenyra. You really only get that she just wants to chill out and everyone's bothering her. But we can get more into that. Yeah, I well. will not feel bad for Otto often. No. However, when Viserys stands up after the wife comment was made, and Viserys then looks at Otto and goes, "You know how it's like I was it's like I was in elementary school and I was just standing there minding my own fucking business, and Billy came and punched me in the face, and then the teacher was like, "You know how Billy loves to punch you in the face. Why would you put your face there?" It's like, "Come on, what are we talking about? Like, get out of here." Like, yeah, Otto is just not as witty or clever or willing to go that low that quickly in like a rhetorical kind of word word versus word argument. And Damon beats yeah. him on this one. Otto had also given up the argument because once he realized that he wasn't getting anywhere with the city watch and once he realized the tide was turning and people were broadly, you know what, like Damon's making some good points. Do we love it? No, but it might be necessary. So we'll just let him do it. Once Otto realized he was going to lose, he didn't take it gracefully. He's the one who went with the... You haven't been seen in Ruinstone for some time. And it's like, well, yeah, Otto. Separately, I'm sure Damon hates his wife and doesn't want to go. But you also gave him a job in King's Landing. Like, what do you mean? Like, you, yeah. We learn later that you put him in charge of the City Watch, which is a job in King's Landing and not a job in Ruinstone. So why would you assume Damon has been in Ruinstone? Like, why would that be? The, like, what are you talking about? Surely it's more common in this world for the wife to follow the husband around. Mm-hmm. And not like what? Like that whole thing made no sense. Otto was talking shit. Like, let's shut the fuck up. Yeah, he just he just got too big for his britches. He's like, yeah, he t- he picked the fight with the wrong person. He was just outclassed. Whether you're right or wrong, like sometimes you're just in a fight that you can't win, right? And and yeah, Damon is just so charismatic. I don't know why you'd even bother, especially with Viserys in the room. If Damon's talking and Viserys is in the room, yeah, even if Viserys is like spitting mad at Damon, he's still gonna listen to him. Yeah, you gotta let it go. We move on to the tournament. I have so many questions about this tournament. I'll be asking many of these questions later in our kind of awards and kind of nitpick section of the podcast. But this episode, the middle section, kind of the act two of this episode, is based around this dual thing that is happening. There are two battlefields. We've learned about the battlefields. One of them is war as a battlefield. And the war in this episode is kind of um, played as this tournament, which is an interesting thing because it's kind of like play acting war. It's pretend war. Rainice talks about later, like, now these are all kind of like Game of Thrones. These are all sweet summer children, right? Like the last war yeah. was a while ago. No one, even more so than Game of Thrones, because Game of Thrones, we were only 20 years off a of rebellion. Like, there's a lot of older yeah. knights that fought in a war. Whereas this, we're like 60 years. Like, when we get to, yeah. when we get to later in the season, we learn that, like, there's no knights that have fought any battles. Like this is all yeah, not in their lifetime. Yeah. yeah, this is all so far out of most people's lifetime. The last time there was a real battle that that involved the realm that and none of these people have fought an actual war. Um, mm. But to give some credit to the tournament, it's violent. It's intense. Pe- like dying is a routine part of the 
of the tournament experience. So it's not not battle either. So that's battlefield number one. And then we get Emma's battlefield, the battlefield she acknowledged earlier. We get the birthing bed battlefield. And I find it to be, we'll talk about the, the scene, the birthing scene later. That's the tougher one to talk about. But as a duality, I thought it was perfect because I think the episode is trying to emphasize how fucking stupid the men's battlefield is like and how frivolous and stupid and unnecessary and random and whatever like and like all the importance placed upon it's like watching an nfl football game right like it's not actually important like this is like there's people fighting each other and they're trying to win or whatever but it's not actually that important right and then there's the the birthing battlefield which is the one no one gives a fuck about but that's the truly dangerous and terrible and awful and like that's the one that's the real battlefield and i think because the episode and because of how they choose to approach the content later in the episode, because of how viscerally they choose to kind of put this on the screen, the episode wants you to believe that the birthing and Emma and are like the women in this world are the people who are wronged and left out to die on the birthing bed while all the men get to fuck around over nothing. And I think this tournament does such a good job of being compelling television and telling us more about the characters and the time that we're in while also providing the perfect kind of um, juxtaposition to the birthing bed, which is just from start to finish, truly fucking horrific. Yeah, and I, the irony that the only reason that there is a tournament is to celebrate the birth of this child that isn't born yet. Right, that's the next level yeah. where it's like, the, like this battlefield is like a celebration of how like, like they're not yeah like the battle wasn't even fought yet. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, it's like all the men. Not only do they not have to do the birthing, they get to have a party. Like they're, oh, they get to have a party like because it's happening. Yeah, it's all it's such a good juxtaposition for us to end the episode and be like, "Holy fuck!" The women in this world get fucked so hard, and this tournament was yeah. so useless. U- useless and and wasteful because people are are like legit. I think doesn't Damon like crush someone's face in for reasons? I don't think it's Damon. I think the murder happens with like kind of other characters. I don't think Damon crushes anyone heads anyone's head in. I could be yeah. wrong. But, but, but there's, there's also murder. There's there's also this like the whole thing is unnecessary because it's like about an heir that hasn't been born. So it's like this this expensive, extravagant, unnecessary bullshit thing that's happening in celebration of something that ends up being truly horrific that none of the men give a shit about. And it, it's just a great juxtaposition juxtaposition. The one thing I will say for these tournaments though is they are societally very important because they are the some of the few ways of upward mobility. Like if you would like, like if you were trying to have social mobility in an upwards direction, <laughs> tournaments are great. If you rock up to a tournament and fuck everyone up, that is good. The more important the people you fuck up, the more notice you are. Lots of stories in the Game of Thrones universe of people who were born to nothing, had no claim, no titles, no whatever, um, but they show up to tournaments, they become knights, they become squires to important knights, they they do really well, um, and they end up ingratiating themselves at the right. Everyone loves a warrior, and the, the rich and important people have use for good warriors. And so um, these tournaments are societally important for the people that are participating in them. And in a in a world without like the television and internet or whatever, just as someone who during COVID really appreciated that, uh, I know a lot of people were not happy that sports players got exemptions from COVID rules to play sports because I understand that that's kind of unnecessary and stupid. But as someone who enjoyed just watching unnecessary sports happen during COVID because there was nothing else going on, it was good for my mental health. I can appreciate 
that this is these are big events like for the for your average even for your average lord like if you're not a lord of a big house and you're a lord of a small to medium-sized house and this is your one chance for your sons or whatever to go and make a name for your house you get to go to a tournament at king's landing hosted by the king like that's fucking nuts like this is like this is like going to the olympics like it's that big of a deal and so societally they are very important it's it's juxtaposing it to the horror of what emma's going through that makes it so unimportant and frivolous but for the people doing it regardless of why the tournament's happening this tournament and all the tournaments are very important for their social mobility and standing within the universe yeah and i mean case in point we get to meet someone who will become important down the line sir Kristen cole yeah he's someone gods he's dornish (laughs) and hot He's hot and Dornish. He's hot he, he, and Dornish. He is hot. I'll give him that. He's a hot guy. Yeah, you know, I mean, well, that's just like Pedro Pascal and uh, I don't I don't. Pedro Pascal is a hotter guy. Yeah, but they're both Dornish and hot. So that's two for two. Right. I'm convinced. Um... <laughs> I've seen two Dornish men and they were both hot. They're all hot. All Dornish yeah. men. That's, right. that's the rule now. <laughs> but yeah, so, so Kristen, I think, beats Damon in a sword fight yeah now we're gonna get into the let's get into the the bells and whistles of this like the the internal workings of this <laughs> uh, d- d- we're focused on damon so this tournament is focused mostly on damon and the people he chooses to fight uh first off he beats a random nobody i think and then he chooses Gwayne hightower who is otto's son fucking hilarious fuck you otto mm-hmm. and i'm gonna pick your son and then instead of just beating his son honorably he just like cuts his horse down which i'm positive must be like not technically against the rules but is the least honorable way to win that and then once he's won dishonorably because he just wanted to fuck up going hightower to piss off Otto, he then like all asshole like all the just like the biggest asshole goes up to the the presidential box <laughs> and it's like hey can i have allison's favor <laughs> like, like just the biggest fuck you to Otto. it's so funny damon is such a funny dude it's after that, after he gets Allison's favor, that he goes after Kristen Cole. And Kristen Cole and him, they do the joust. Interesting. A lot of good jousting work, like the set and the the production and the budget is really good. And Damon sliding along the rail, just iconic, like so good. Um, and then him and Kristen Cole, they do the joust, draw. Then they do the the fight with the swords, which is kind of the next step if you draw the joust, I think. Um, and then we'll talk about the swords that they're fighting with, because I think this is completely fucked up, but whatever. Um, and then Damon kind of wins, but then kind of showboats, and then Kristen wins, and it's Kristen who's on top of Damon when they both yield. So insofar as that there is a winner, it's definitely Kristen Cole, but I don't think this is like, this isn't just cut and dry. Like, I think both men, I think both men get to walk away and say, good fight, that was a draw. Damon definitely didn't win. I don't think Kristen conclusively won either. I think they're both yield. They both yielded. I think it's fair. But then Kristen gets Rhaenyra's favor, does he not? No, I don't know how much of this is because he won or the Damon's already yeah. taken favor. Like you can't have multiple favor. I don't think. I don't know how. The, again, I don't know how this fucking works. The same problem I have I with Quidditch and Harry Potter. What are the fucking rules? Like I don't. How can you get favor multiple times? Right? Like, can people give out their favor multiple times? Like, like I don't know. Dishonorable. But I assumed that Kristen Cole showing up to get Rainier's favor was because um, not only did he, he certainly didn't lose. Like, he either drew or won. Um, mm-hmm. But that Damon already collected favor. Like, you can't. He's got Allison's yeah. favor, and that favor lasts for the remainder of this tournament. Yeah. And Chris- so now Kristen has royal attention. Yeah. Kristen Cole. 
son of what do they say son of a Barak Dondarrion steward's son so real fucking nobody yeah kind of out of the boonies (laughs) (laughs) fair enough all right so we've met Kristen Cole we'll talk about him a little bit more later but for now that's what happened at the tournament anything else about the tournament and like the actual working pieces of it think so I, I i thought it was nice that we actually got into like the weeds with it um, it's always nice when they don't just like give you one panning shot of the crowd and then like oh the tournament it happened i like that we were down on the ground with the fighting so there's a lot of little things that are worth mentioning but not worth talking about for too long allison picking her nails something that happens during this scene that's oh. interesting ray niece like just having ray niece be the person who's good the person who we know could have been queen being the person who's kind of telling us the day is growing ugly um mm. giving us the exposition about this sweet summer children playing at war um mm. i like how she i like how like even like the biology is super fun in the show where she's like yeah, all this death is happening because their balls are too full. It's like, fair enough. <laughs> like, the biology and the psychology, I think, is a little bit off, but whatever. Like, I just like, it's canon in this world for even the smartest people to be like, yeah, when their balls are too full and they haven't gotten it out in a while, they're just going to pop each other's heads off. It's they're just start killing each other. It's murder. Um, and the last thing I want to talk about with the tournament, other than the production value of it, which I don't want to spend too much on, but it was very well done, um, was this idea that um, it's when Viserys leaves that things really go to shit, right? This idea that it's all kind of the authority of the king is there, and then the second that authority leaves, there's no one else who's really in charge of it, and things immediately start going to shit, which is interesting because I don't know if Viserys is the kind of guy that would have stopped the shit, but hey, Mm -hmm. we're meant to believe that like once Viserys gets called out of action to go attend to Emma, that is when things start falling apart, which I think is just interesting symbolism for this tournament. Yeah, and and even going forward, that I think it speaks to like a bigger picture. It's like if your king is in the room and he's fully present, people are gonna button up a little bit. King stops paying attention. Yeah, it's kind of like being in the room with the president. Like you're gonna check yeah. your tie to make sure it's straight, just in case. Like you, yeah, you, yeah you're gonna dial your cross the eyes, cross the eyes, dot the eyes, cross the t's. Please don't go cross in your eyes. Um, but yeah, you're gonna you're gonna check all the boxes. You're gonna make sure that everything is. Up to snuff. So, yeah, I understand that for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a shame they couldn't keep it together. Like, there was still a lot of the royal family there. That's what I'm like, saying. Why isn't Corliss was... standing up? Like, what the fuck is this? Corliss, hey. Rhaenys. Like, Rhaenys is still a princess, is she not? Yeah, they're all important people. Yeah, Rhaenyra is a princess. Daemon is the they're, they're prince all They're era. all people you don't want to fuck with. Like, any of these people. I think if yeah. any of these people stand up and go, like, yo, Vizzy T is out of action, but can we not murder each other? Like, I think that's a rule. Like, by order of the king, I think. <laughs> like, don't murder. No murder at the turn. Fuck out. Yeah. All right. Are you ready, Rachel? I'm ready. All right. We're going to talk about the birthing scene. I don't want to talk about it for too long, not because it's not important, just because a lot of people aren't going to want to watch or listen to it. Also because I'm the worst person to talk about this. So I'm just going to go, I try in one take, say all my feelings about the birthing scene, and then not talk about it anymore. And then we can move on after your take about the birthing scene to the rest of the episode, which I think is a lot easier to talk about. The juxtaposition to this tournament, and when you're watching it, it's intercut. We're just talking about it one than the other is Emma. So Viserys via Otto, which I thought was interesting. Viserys via Otto gets called to go check on Emma. 
Once he's there, he learns that the baby is in breach. It can't be turned. You've brought up that they did kind of stop trying to turn it, and maybe they could have kept trying. Um, but if we're taking them at face value, they've been trying forever to turn this baby. It cannot be turned. The situation presented to Viserys is that, hey, um, both of these people are going to die. Like, if this situation does not get resolved in any way, like if we just keep going at neutral here, if no intervention is taken in any direction, Emma's gone, the kid, the heir, whoever's gone, like, it's all, all ships are sinking, right? Um, and so Viserys is presented with a choice, which is you can either um, have both of them die and just continue on neutral here and just nothing will happen, but they'll both die. Or you can, an intervention can take place. Like in the Citadel, we teach this intervention that we would call a C-section now, but that they just call it a thing or whatever. Um, and we can cut the baby out of the womb and potential there, baby survives. Um, however, Emma then definitely dies. Like the resulting blood loss will kill Emma. And so the thing with this scene is not... There are there's reasonable arguments to be made about whether the math was mathed correctly and whether it's just better or more like the intervention just shouldn't happen that we should just like the 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 world and the universe and the gods or whoever of this world um, they sentenced both of them to die and we shouldn't have done any of this. However, there's a reasonable argument that the math was mathed correctly. Like we started the problem was two people were definitely going to die and there is a way in which one of them might live. So if we're just doing basic like ethical like trolley problem math yeah. most people would say math was mathed correctly one person could possibly survive now because this is not just a simple trolley problem we have to add all the context to it is the pain and suffering worth that in general this is where you would start arguing that the procedure by which this has to be done is so violent and so horrific and so terrible that the saving of the one person is not worth it at all Right. Uh, there's also the context, and this is the big one, um, that Viserys is just a coward, that this this that this decision was not Emma's to make, that if Emma had made this choice, right, we wouldn't feel good about watching it, but we would feel good about the math because it math. Right. If Emma goes, you know what? This is violent. This is horrific. I do not want this to happen to me. However, if I'm going to die anyway, I would like to try and save my child. Um, so you're free to do it and I'll suffer that. Right. I'll suffer it with a stiff lip and all whatever. That would have felt a lot better in the moment for Emma to have taken that on herself. And there's two problems with what Viserys does. The, the first problem is that he makes the decision at all, which is less of a Viserys problem and more of a world issue. Like in every birthing chamber around the land, this problem is given to the men and not the women. So this is a structural issue in Westeros that is horrible and horrific and terrible and not specifically a Viserys one. Where Viserys comes into it is he makes the choice and then is cowardly about it. Right. If he had made the choice and said, hey, Emma, this is the situation I was presented with. This is the choice that I made and we're going to do this. And I know how terrible and awful and horrific this is. You'd still have the problem is you, you'd still want it to be Emma's choice. Right. But Viserys would have at least owned up to the choice that he made. But because Viserys is Viserys, he's weak. He's, he's not a person who can make tough decisions. He does the worst of all options, which is he, mm -hmm. he approves the horrific thing. And but then won't look Emma in the eye and say she's done it. Um, and trying like a modern analogy to this would be like it's like we talk about this with war all the time, like how easily presidents and prime ministers just sign away people to go die in war and then like don't give any give a shit to the parents once those people die, right? Like they don't they don't show up for the funeral, they don't care. Like it's just like all these people, right? It's like a that's like kind of a modern analogy to it too. Or it's like Viserys just didn't 
He didn't say it with his chest. Like he, he's just a coward. Like he, he made the wrong decision and then wasn't honest about it. And this decision should have been Emma's to make. So even if we ended up with the correct math, we got there in such a fucked up roundabout cowardly way that it's all not worth it and stupid and terrible for all the women in this whole world. And that's my opinion on the birthing scene and on Viserys Targaryen, who did the correct math, but in such a terrible, fucked up, awful way that it doesn't even matter. And I wish he'd never done the math to begin with. Yeah. So the first time we talked about this scene, I lost my temper. I probably went on like a half hour long. <laughs> uh, I will not do that this time. Um, what I would have really liked for something for a scene like this is remember in Bridgerton season two. I Violet, do remember uh, Bridgerton season two. You got she's me. Having, she's having issues uh, with the birth, and the doctor goes to her oldest son, and he's like, "What do you want to do with this baby?" And Violet turns around and she's like, don't fucking talk to my teenage son. Talk to me. This baby is coming out of me. Um, I, I, I know Emma was like completely doped out on Milk of the Poppy in this scene. So she probably couldn't have done something like that. But in my head, I, I would have really liked for Emma to be able to communicate. Um, as a whole, yeah, I think this scene was extremely visceral, very difficult to watch. I've only watched it all the way through once, because that's about as much as I can stomach it. Yeah, this was your chosen bathroom break yesterday during the episode. Yeah. Great, yeah, great pick. <laughs> I wish I had done it, too. I've seen this episode three or four times, and it's like, I did not need to see that for the fourth time. Um, But instead of kind of going... I don't want to repeat anything you said, because I, I really agree a lot with what... Um, what you talked about i think what i'd like to do instead is kind of propose a different way that i kind of wish the scene would have gone that kind of gets to the same end but without it being you know kind of what it was um what we learned about viserys is he doesn't want to make hard choices he's really indecisive he waits for someone to push him in a direction before he makes the call what i thought would have been really interesting just narrative wise is if he's presented with the same dilemma, um, sacrifice uh, one and maybe save the other or lose them both. I I thought it'd be interesting if it takes him so long to make that choice because he's so worried about choosing wrong or he, he just doesn't know what to do, that eventually Emma just, she's like, snap the fuck out of it and cut this baby out of me. And or Or even maybe they both just die. He waited so long... That he even lost but, the option. But then, so that would be, yeah, how it would play out is by the time Emma finally is like, just fucking kill me and try to save our child. It's too late. And they both die. I thought that would have been a much more interesting way to tell that story without kind of taking Emma's agency away. And we still get what we need from Viserys in that scene, which is the the guilt of choosing incorrectly or not choosing at all and the impression of him that we're supposed to have that he's really not a strong man so that's that's how i would have uh written that scene if it were up to me but i also am just podcasting in my apartment so <laughs> i don't know how much water my opinion holds Perfect. are we both is there anything else either of us want to say about the birthing scene if I say more, I'm just going to talk forever. I think it's safer. <laughs> okay, cool. We're going to move on. No more talk about the birthing scene. We have covered it as best as we're going to. At the end of the birthing scene, though, this, this scene still has many consequences. This 
um, by all intents and purposes, is the scene that kicks off our story in a real way here. Like, we've met all the characters. Is this decision from Viserys and the outcome of this decision that kicks off our story and moves all the pieces into place for us to get going here? Um, first off, the episode is so mercurial with this... Not the whether the scene was done elegantly. I'll leave up to people who are... Like just women, because I don't want to have an opinion on that. However, unlike Viserys, the, the show says it with its chest. It does not fuck around. It wants you to feel horrified and disgusted by what's happening. And just the line, like the maester, like just going, congratulations. It's a boy, like just right over his head. Like what a, just what a cutting line to just show how awful this world is to women. Even just the maester, after all that, he has the boy. He's like, congratulations, it's a boy. Um... But yeah, it's just, yeah, just absolutely brutal. Um, we cut pretty quickly to the tournament where everyone is filtering out. The news is spread um, of Emma's death and the birth of the heir. I did kind of want a scene. I joked about it when we were talking about it, but I think narratively it would have been interesting. Like, how do you, what is the announcement? All these people came to Kim's Landing for news of the heir. You're going to have to tell all these people some version of the story. How does this presented to the realm? I would have found interesting. Like, who, like, is it Otto that comes out and says something? Like, is it Corliss? Like, what, you know what I mean? Like, I think for the dynamics of the show, that would have been fascinating to cut in a minute here yeah. of who in this situation comes out to explain to the people what has happened and what do they say. But, anyways, we don't get that. Um, but we get the panic of people filtering out of the, the royal box of Rainier and Allison kind of being the last ones there, the last ones to find out what is happening but you can tell they both know which i thought was fascinating you can tell on their face they both already know they don't have to leave they don't need to turn around they both know exactly what has happened and gone wrong here which is a really eloquent way of showing how common this is like they didn't need to be this is always a possibility yeah. it's so front of mind to the women in this world that this could happen that if everyone's this freaked out only one thing could have possibly happened um, but then we cut to the funeral. They don't mess around. The show doesn't give us any time. Uh, Emma's dead. We knew that, but so is the baby. So the whole thing was fucking pointless in the end. Um, Emma's gone. Balon is gone. Um, and this funeral scene just is so beautifully done, but also gives us a lot, a lot narratively to chew on here. Um, Viserys is unable to be the head of this family in this scene um for one because of his grief which i think is the real human part of it but the second reason is he does not have a dragon he cannot do the funeral pyre thing he doesn't have someone to say Dracar you know what i mean like he has kind of taken his ability away to perform this ceremony on his own um and to kind of stand up and he wouldn't have done it anyway because it's viserys but um rhaenyra has to be in charge here and one wonders why daemon who is clearly in a mentally better place, couldn't have done this with his dragon. But hey, Rhaenyra is going to do it. And it's probably narratively. So we understand that Rhaenyra is a badass who doesn't mess around and has a dragon. And like, just to give us more Rhaenyra time. Um, yeah. But Viserys here is putting a lot on his daughter who's just lost their mother. He's not been a very good father. Um, and it's Damon that comes in. And, and aside from all the terrible things Damon has done this episode, we get this fourth side of him, which is just a kind... Just a kind family member who is able to help his grieving niece through a difficult time and saying, like, hey, look, like, this is how it works. This happened. Your father needs you. You're going to need to do this Dracarys thing. Like, you just need to do it. And and Rhaenyra steals up and says Dracarys. And she says it with her whole chest. Like, she doesn't back down from the responsibility. Mm -hmm. And she does it. And it, it's just so beautifully done for such a tragic scene. 
Yeah, and, and just visually stunning as well. I I can never get over the sets for Game of Thrones. Like, they film them all over Europe, all over the world. And, yeah, I, I'm not sure where this one would have been filmed. Maybe Ireland? Ah, Northern Ireland, maybe. I don't know. But, Some cliff in I, the United Kingdom, one of the countries. But absolutely gorgeous. I'm, Cyrex looks amazing in the shot. Um, and I like the way that the the show the the episode goes from like the the gaiety of the tournament to just the this absolute somber funeral. I think they deal with tone switches so well in this episode. So that was also really cool. The cut to the funeral shocked me because I knew what happened. I'd read Fire and Blood. I the whole time I knew that this was futile, right? And the yeah. fact that they didn't even give us a second with Balon. Like, no scene of Rhaenyra saying hi to him. No scene of, like, them realize. Like, you get the little colicky cough a little bit and the look on the maester's face. But no, you don't get to see anyone. Because for to the realm, for the realm, for, like, a couple of days, right? I think it's a couple of days, Rhaenyra says later. They think there's an heir. In any case, even if the baby dies in a couple of hours, by the time the news goes around, there's no reaction to anyone in this realm for the brief amount of time that there is an error that is work that they're that, it, that the whole turn you know what i mean like there is a there's a gap here that we're missing and the fact that the show just completely cut out was such a good choice to just cut straight to the because it's about emma like that's the thing is it's about emma it's not about the rest of it and so cutting straight yeah. to the funeral was such a good choice here um, after the funeral this is where we get into some bullshit. Otto Hightower. <laughs> Otto Hightower. This is where you start really figuring out how he's blending his job with the opportunities he's given. Because he did not, did not want, did not plan, did not whatever, um, did not do anything to kill Emma. That was not his plan. However, man sees an opportunity. Man's not fucking around. Mm. Right? Emma's dead. It's the same night. The same night. It's a, not even been a day. Um, funerals happened. Emma's dead. And he sees an opportunity. Viserys, he knows, as the hand of the king, he knows full well the king is going to be pressured to remarry. He wants in on that remarriage. He has a daughter. He wants to advance his family's position. And his job as hand of the king allows him access to the king that most people don't have. So um, uh, uh, in this world, you imagine that a lot of lords are about to come to Viserys and with their daughters and be like, hey, homie, uh, I got a daughter. Would you like to marry... My daughter, it's not going to be an uncommon thing, but Otto Hightower, who's already in the castle, who already has the measure of Viserys, who already knows this is a play he can make, is going to dress up Alicent in her dead mother's dress and send her... It's like a mafia boss, not saying to murder somebody, but saying, like, I'd be happier if they weren't around, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's like, go, go read to him. Like, go comfort him. Go, you know what I mean? Like fucking Otto pimping out his own daughter, man. It's extremely gross. It's so gross. Yeah, and we're left to wonder how this is gonna go because we know that he's pimping out his own daughter. Is Viserys gonna take the bait? Is he not? Is he gonna choose someone else? Is he gonna choose Alicent? These are all things that the next couple of episodes are gonna answer for us. But in this moment, Otto is making a power play here, um, one that I have a hard time divorcing from his job. Obviously, this is an abuse of his power in the sense that he has, it's like insider trading. He has access and information that not everyone has. But this isn't a fair world, and he is not going to be the only father taking his 15-year-old daughter 
to try and give her to the king, right? So how much of this is him just doing the common thing for the time? How much of this is him abusing his power of hand of the king? How much of this is just making a no, because it's a no risk play for him. Allison goes and Viserys doesn't take the bait. Well, he wasn't married to Allison anyway. Like you're not losing any ground here. You can only gain, you can only advance, you can only... You could only make your position better. It's the first fascinating political choice we're faced with in this show. And Otto, to his credit, his, it's horrific and terrible, and people should not send their 15-year-old daughters to marry. To his credit, though, is playing the Game of Thrones. This is what what about the world is fun, is like the no-holds-barred. It's like you're fighting in a cage match with, with a steel chair and barbed wire, right? Like, Otto's not fucking around. Like, King Emma's dead. It doesn't matter that she's been dead a minute, an hour, a day. She's dead. He's going to have to remarry. I'm getting in on hour one with Alicent. And whether whether we appreciate Otto for it, it's just the first fascinating political choice that's made. And it's horrible. And you feel for Alicent. Yeah. I mean, it, it's an extreme power play. I, I think the idea of it, if you're thinking just like cold hard facts, how effective of a political play is this? It's a good thing to do. Ethically, terrible. Not going to speak to that. But just in terms of strategic of strategy yeah obviously he's on the right track i think the mistake that he makes and and you know the consequences of it we might see down the line um it's too early um to he doesn't have to have that conversation with viserys about looking for a new wife he can just send allison to him allison is still rainier's best friend she still lives in the castle she's there all the time he doesn't have to kind of anger Viserys and put him in that situation so quickly. So I thought that was a bit of a misplay because it puts Viserys, it makes him take a step back from Otto. Because he's kind of like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And we just, we just burned Emma. And we yeah, lost but my this son. is the thing about Game of Thrones that I love is like, there, there's no perfect characters. Like Otto's not, he's playing the game, but he's... Yeah but he's not perfect at it. Like all the best players still fuck up from time to time. It's kind of how well do you recover from the fuck ups? How much do you learn from the fuck ups? Like it's because yeah, you're right. Otto makes the power play that he probably should make. If his goal is advancing his family's position Mm -hmm. insofar as that he has this additional bit of power to do so, that is the game of Thrones that everyone's playing, right? Everyone is trying to advance their family's position all the time. He makes the correct choice here from that point of view, but the way he does it is absolutely tasteless. And Viserys' reaction to that tastelessness is interesting. And we don't know exactly how that's going to play out in episode two, if Otto's going to face consequences, if he's going to get off scot-free with this, if Viserys is going to be mad or even understand or know about it, we'll have to find out. But you're right. Yeah, Otto, he makes the power play, but he kind of fucks it up a little bit. And we'll have to see how that goes. Yeah, and it just... And you start to see those tensions right away because Viserys is clearly not the same person he was before Emma died. Viserys didn't yell at anyone like that before Emma died. This is a new man now. Yeah, let's get to that scene in a second, though. But I do want to give Allison her credit where it's due. Um, the job she does comforting Viserys is genuinely heartwarming. Like she, mm. she goes in and like the things she actually says, like, I don't, I don't want Allison to be doing this or I'd be happy if Allison did this on her own volition or if it wasn't a power play, if Otto was genuinely yeah. like, Hey, can you go? Like, someone's got to go see the King and you are just a kind, well-tempered person who 
he will appreciate seeing right now. You know what I mean? Like that would have been fine too if it wasn't like a pimp my daughter out to the king play. If it was just a, I'm just concerned about my friend and someone needs to comfort him and you might be the best person in the castle right now because mm -hmm. Rainier is out of action. Um, but the thing Allison actually says, which is like, hey, when I lost my mother, all I wanted was for someone to tell me they were sorry for what was happening. And I'm sorry for what's happening. It's like, oh, Allison, you're too good for this world. She was such a little sweetheart. Just a little sweetie trying to actually comfort him. Like, she understands the power play. Like, she gets it. You understand that she knows what her dad is asking. And especially with the, like, how horrifying the, and put on your mother's dress is. Like, that just makes it obvious. But she still chooses for the sake of Viserys, who she is genuinely feeling bad for, to actually help him with his grief. Which I think is a kind thing for Allison to do, regardless of which circumstances put her in that position She's choosing to to take the scrambled eggs here and at least for Viserys' sake, make an omelet so this grieving person can have a little, like, whatever reprieve she can give him, which I thought I liked. It was it was tastefully done from Allison. Yeah, it was it was a nice scene. I'm kind of glad that that's all it was that made it more more palatable, just the entire situation. It was a very sweet scene. And Emily Carey did look beautiful in that dress. She looked gorgeous in that scene. Well, uh, spoiler or not spoiler, she wears that blue dress for fucking ever. Like, I don't, I don't, I think it might be like episode four by the time she takes it off. Like, it's bad. It's so bad. We're going to get so much of that dress. Um, I think, I think we are now going into the last kind of small council scene. There's a few bits and bobs I want to talk about here. Mainly Viserys' model is pretty fun. He's got a model of old Valeria. I just like that he's just a king who likes his Legos. And that's just fun for me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. A king who's into Lego, like, this is the thing. In that sense, he's relatable. And you're like, I wish I, I wish our, like, if you show me right now, like, uh, for listeners, uh, Rachel and I are both Canadians. So we have a prime minister, but president, prime minister, whoever's in charge, head of state, right? You found out they played Legos in their spare time. Like, it's fucking relatable. It's kind of like, yeah, I'd have a beer with them. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of cool. So he has a cheeky little motto. We get into the small council chamber. Fascinating choice by Otto. Easily where he fucks up the most this episode. He's pulling everyone in urgent meeting. The first thing Viserys wants to know is where is Rhaenyra, right? Which I found was interesting, right? That he was wondering where Rhaenyra was. For what reason? Because he wants the wine or because he wants Rhaenyra to be involved or because he's worried about his daughter but doesn't know how to talk to her about it but is kind of taking all that pent-up worry about his daughter and her grief and like, well, I don't know, it's interesting to find out because we, we're not going to get to what Viserys was thinking there. Um, but Otto's agenda, Emma is dead. The situation with the heir is unclear, which is interesting because both of the people who could have been the heir before Emma was dead are now still currently the option. And it's also fascinating because if Damon was the heir um, and he killed Viserys before this, he still would have been the heir. Assuming the like Otto's version of this plan is that Damon is going to kill Viserys and become the king, right? But if Emma is alive, and Damon kills Viserys through some subterfuge that no one finds out it's Damon, right? He's still, He's still the heir. So I don't know what the fuck Otto's talking about. Like, if Damon wanted to kill Viserys to become the king, assuming, assuming, we'll give Damon credit, assuming that Damon's plan would have worked and it wouldn't have been him and he just would have, right? He was the heir when Emma was alive too. So I don't understand what Otto's fucking talking about. But Otto considers it a matter of urgency. Damon, the, the rogue prince is going to kill Viserys. And take the throne for himself. We need to have a secession in place. Who does he pick? Audience, 
I would like it to be known right now that in the story House of the Dragon on episode one, Otto Hightower suggests Rhaenyra Targaryen be the heir to the Iron Throne and that it was his idea. And it actually comes against the opinions of others. There are other people in the room, Lionel Strong going, what the fuck? Why are we picking a girl? That doesn't make any sense. Men only. But Otto doesn't like Damon. Is he? But this is the thing. This is the thing that's fascinating. How much of this is his job as Hand of the King? Because his job is... I get it from this point of view. You're Hand of the King and the King is fucking grieving. And there is, to some degree, a minor succession issue now that we know the King can't have more heirs at the moment. That we're stuck with the... The, the battlefield now is stabilized. There's two options. And before there was two options plus whatever Emma could do you know what i mean so the situation has changed people are grieving it's not a huge change but things are different things are more up in the air i'm pretty happy that the hand of the king has a sober mind about it and it's like someone's got to worry about this and it's gonna be me everything else <laughs> everything else is like holy fuck dude like let's leave it to, to, to even tomorrow is a huge improvement like let's just let someone sleep on it for a day you know i also i just think this was such a, a a major misplay for Otto. I think this this was a this was a bad decision. I think he so we know that he hates Damon. He just thinks Damon is unpredictable and untrustworthy and a loose cannon. Like we we get that already. Um, so he doesn't want Damon anywhere near the throne. So he kind of lashes out against that, even though that's been the truth for the past. It's been true since Viserys was named king. But right, this David is fascinating, Rachel, is how much of that is Otto genuinely be doing his job and oh, genuinely thinks Damon would be bad at the job? And how much of it is Otto knows that if Damon gets the job, Otto Hightower is probably hanging from a stick somewhere? Like how so much I, don't think, I don't think Otto's doing his job at all here. I think Otto is just completely acting, not even on common sense, on, I think just on emotion. He's so driven by how much he dislikes Damon that he doesn't see that Damon would never hurt his family. He like Damon is like a garbage person who would do some truly terrible shit. He's just not going to do it to Viserys. He's always going to defend Viserys, Rhaenyra, and he would have done it for Emma. Like that's his family. And, and and he's so proud of being a Targaryen. It's absolutely nutty to me that Otto wouldn't be able to see that because it's in everything that Damon does, yeah. even if he is extremely unpredictable. Dang and it. then another reason I think it's a bad decision, hand wise, strategic wise, is by suggesting Rhaenyra. Like that's you, you know they tried that once before with Rhaenys, uh, and people didn't like that. I think it's pretty clear what the public opinion is going to be. And if you're worried about upsetting the succession because things aren't crystal clear, what are you going to do? Muddy the waters more by by suggesting an heir that's just like not consistent with how you've decided heirs in the past? So I, I, I think if he'd been thinking clearly, I think this, the path forward is, is clear. You just help the king heal, and you get him remarried to someone young and fertile as soon as possible. Possibly your daughter. Possibly your daughter, even though it's fucking weird. Um, as soon as possible, and you just try to pump out children. That's, I, because Viserys is still, he's, he's only what, like 40-ish? 
I think he's only supposed to be like 30 in the books, but in, yeah, in, the, in show, the show, he's, he's aged 40. up. He's about 40 in the show. He's about 29 in the books, I think. But he's not geriatric. Yeah, even the geriatric one's going to have kids. If you're a dude, like Walter Frey's yeah. pumping about like 95. So Yeah, he's he's still got, you know, lots of lots of babies he could make. He's got lots of time to spend doing that. Um, so I think if Otto had just been thinking clearly, I think you don't upset the succession. You know in your head Damon isn't going to kill Viserys because that's his fucking brother and he loves him. Um, and you just get Viserys married to Allison as quickly as possible and you get her to start having kids. If Otto just keeps his mouth shut here, who like who knows what could have happened? Because yeah. it's not like the succession really changed. That's what I'm saying. That's to me my fuck up is like he's all of a sudden making a problem about a succession that has not changed from before, yeah. right? But I'm I am so fascinated by all the dynamics. How much of it is Otto doing yeah. his job versus not doing his job? How much of it is his fear of Damon being the king versus his fear of Damon being the king because it affects Otto Hightower? Like maybe Damon would do a good job as like if Otto's the hand and Damon would do a great job as king, but would also kill Otto Hightower because he doesn't like Otto Hightower, right? It's a hard it's hard for Otto Hightower to advise. Hey, uh, I prefer your brother be the king. He'd be good at it, even yeah. if I have to die. You know what I mean? Like it's there's so many dynamics here that I I yeah. find it fascinating to kind of dig into. We're getting to the end of the episode. Um, um, Viserys and um, oh, Damon are gonna have a showdown in the throne room here. Um, before that happens, Damon has purchased, <laughs> uh, maybe he pre-purchased it a few months back. Maybe he's just griefing in his own way. He has purchased out an entire brothel for his gold cloaks after a fun night of maiming and killing. Um, the ones that aren't on duty get to party in the brothel. Um, we have already met her earlier in the episode. We didn't really talk about it. Um, it's unfortunately, Mazaria has the worst accent ever. True crime against, I think it's Sonoya Mizuno is her name. Uh, true crime against her personally that they've given her this awful fucking accent. Um, but this is where we saw Damon earlier getting cuddled by uh, Sonoya Mizuno by Mazaria with his little like black cuddle cloak. Where she she suggested, um, again, if we're going to start thinking about Targaryen incense, she suggested earlier to Damon, I can find you one with blonde hair. <laughs> so it's like, oh. Um, oh, no. But yeah, we're back. Um, we should have mentioned earlier too, Damon... Showing signs of a little bit of impot in impotence, impotency. Impotency. Yeah, I got it. I got there in the end <laughs> earlier in this episode, um, which is interesting. Is that psychological? Is that physical? Who knows? But it's interesting that Damon, this fierce, strong, dragon-riding fucking warrior, um, has a hard time uh, completing his mission in the bed. Like That's an interesting thing to show us in, in this universe. Um, but we're in this brothel again. Mazaria's there, Damon's there. There are two people, mid-doggy style, that just stop when Damon starts talking. Um, <laughs> they don't, like, pull out or anything. They just stay right in position. They're just going to... this pause button, and they'll just keep going after. And um, we we leave a cut. Otto has reported to Viserys Targaryen that Damon cheered, or cheers, saluted Balon and styled him heir for a day in this brothel obviously super insensitive and terrible viserys freaks the fuck out cosplays his king like he can't have this conversation in a room with damon he's smarter than otto he knows he can't 1v1 damon in the conversation so he needs all the trappings like he needs the suit he needs the sword he needs the throne he needs the the hall he needs all these things to kind of 
prop himself up and give him the energy to fight with his brother. He needs the king's guard standing in front of him. He needs to say, you will address me as your grace or I will cut out your tongue. Like he's, he needs to, it's interesting. He needs to pump himself up to fight with Damon. Like he needs to do the whole cosplay to do it. Um, and basically the argument goes like, hey, motherfucker, you can't say that shit. Get the fuck out of here. Um, it's a lot more nuanced than that, but just as a general starting point, how do you feel? I thought, so So the first time I watched the scene, I was definitely on Viserys' side. It was definitely like, that's really fucked up that you said that. That's like a really terrible thing. Um, but the more I've rewatched this scene, it just makes me sad because it, it reminds me, so you've got siblings, I have siblings. It is really easy to say some really hurtful shit to your siblings. Like, more so than any friend you make, any person. Like, even if you really, really dislike a person, you just, like, in your brain, you know how to cut down your siblings and say things that are hurtful. And I I saw that a little bit in this back and forth, is these are two brothers who have, like, a, a lot of unaddressed pain towards each other, and even just within themselves. And so... Viserys, who has had such a shitty day, such a shitty couple of weeks, he goes to, like, one person who he can actually take his temper out on. Like, he's not mad only at Damon. He's mad at the fucking world. But he takes it out on Damon, and he just channels all of that anger that he can't express, really, to anyone else, only at his brother, and he sends him away. And Damon, like, again, he's not going to go against his family, even if it really fucking pisses him off. So he just kind of, you know, he's like, I'm pissed about this. I don't think you you love me nearly enough. I don't think you've done what you you should have done for me as your brother. But, you know, fine. And he throws his hands up and he walks away. And so it doesn't feel like a kind of comeuppance for Damon. It just made me sad. Yeah. I mean, obviously, how you feel about the scene is going to be whether you believe the report. Like, you have to, yeah. like, before you can feel anything about the scene, you have to take a position on whether Damon actually said the thing that he did. If so, did he say it in the way it's reported as like a dig against Viserys? Mm. And then from there, you have to adjudicate Viserys' reaction and whether or not it was appropriate. So there's so many layers to this to decide how you feel about it. Mm. My read on it is that Damon did not say the thing. That this is most likely Otto fabricating something, like some source. or so He probably got intel on the situation that Damon had bought out this brothel. And was able to manufacture or or Damon might have said something similar to it or said it in like a, a very somber setting and been like, yeah, Balon. And, and it's really sad that he was there for a day and I feel so terrible. You know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. I think he's able to manipulate some form of this conversation yeah. to Viserys. And then I, so I don't think Damon said it in the way I don't think he would have said it at all, but I don't think he said it in the way that um Otto is reporting it. I think this is Otto going outside of the role of his job to just take an unnecessary dig at Damon and split them apart because that was the whole point. Of, that was the whole point of bringing Viserys in the other scene, right? Like this is all part of the same thing to split Damon and Viserys from each other. So I believe Otto is making this shit up to mo- mostly, mostly either making it up or fabricating it. But for Damon, he's making a lot of good points. He's like, Otto's a fuckhead. Get him the fuck out of here. All you're just a weak king, and that's fine. It's okay to be a weak king. We love weak kings. I can just be your hand and we can have a weak king, strong hand and the blood of the dragon will be fine. Like the king, you know what I mean? Like Damon's pretty realistic about it. Like, like we've had strong kings. We have weak kings. It's okay. 
right? Like he's not yeah, a Viserys is not a Viserys is a weak king, but he's not a vicious king. He's not an unfair king. He's not a unjust king. Like he's a he's a decent dude to the people. It seems like. Um, mm-hmm. So Damon is like, yo, you're weak, and these people prey on you. Make me your hand, and I'll do a good fucking job. We'll get rid of Otto, and I'll I'll protect you. And then you can be a weak ass king, and I'll be a strong ass hand, and we'll have a great time together. And there's so many good lines to chew on, where it's like, yeah. you we are the blood of the you are the blood of the dragons. Like then why do you cut me so deeply? Like mm, so yeah. good. Like the writing is so good. Um, but yeah, I feel for Damon because you get the sense that this happens a lot, where Damon yeah. is blamed for something, maybe with good reason, because he does a lot of shit. But he gets accused of something he did not do. And he can't even bring himself to defend it because it doesn't matter. Whereas I think if Viserys had just asked him, hey, this is the report I got. Did you do it? Without the trappings, without the sword, without the throne, without the king's guard, like just a brother to brother, like, did you say this? Right? Damon probably would have said, no, I didn't. Like, that's just, you're just being lied to. You know what I mean? But it's because, like, he's being hauled. Like, once Viserys has decided, gotta get the sword, gotta get the king's guard, gotta sit in the fucking chair, gotta threaten to cut out my tongue. Like, what's the point of even defending myself? Like, what is the, what do I, like, because even if, like, what do I say? No, I didn't say, like, there's no fucking point now. So I just feel for Damon in this scene. Like, I don't think he said it. I just don't think he said it. I think he's capable of a ton of shit. I don't think this is his fault. I don't think he did this in the way Otto's representing it. And I, I get the energy to just be like, you know what, fucking fine. I did say it. Like, whatever. Who cares? You don't care about the truth. You just care about being mad at me right now. So, yeah, well, fucking whatever. Yeah. yeah. Although I, I do still like that all of this is going on and he still finds the time to just take one clear shot at Otto. And he's like, do you know what Otto Hightower is? And Viserys is like, a good man doing his best to be an upstanding hand of the king. And Damon just calls him the C-word. <laughs> which I thought I was going to be confident enough to say, but I'm not confident enough to say it. But that makes me laugh every time. Because- if I remember, I'll throw it down one time. I got a, I got lots of, I work with a lot of Australians and British people. <laughs> and uh, you learn pretty quick that it's not exactly a swear word for them. So <laughs> when I remember that it was in the script, I'll throw it down. But that's okay. Um, and the end of this argument in the next scene, the real final bit of this episode is Rainier gets named the heir. Now, interesting decision here. Um, this is happening in front of the skull of Balerion the Black Dread. Interesting opinion from Viserys that um, dragons are... You get This is where you get his opinion on the dragons, that we should have never fucked with them. We don't, we don't, like, the idea that we control the dragons is fucking crazy. Like, the dragons are in control. We don't control shit with the dragons. We should have never messed with them. But we're here now, and we gotta we gotta guard the realms of men. And it's not because Aegon just wanted to conquer. There's a prophecy angle here. Um, he saw they called it the Song of Ice and Fire, the White Walkers, the Winter. It's interesting how vague this prophecy is. Like just that the problem's gonna happen in the distant north, and it's gonna come in a winter. And in order to deal with it, a Targaryen's gonna have to be on the throne. Interesting interpretation, considering Aegon. There was no Iron Throne when Aegon... If you believe that Aegon had this prophecy, there would have been no Iron Throne because he wouldn't have conquered anything yet. Like, the throne is just the swords of his conquered enemies, right? And so, like, Viserys' interpretation that it means that a Targaryen has to be on the throne is fascinating because that could not have possibly been part of the original prophecy. So this has changed over time. And he's telling this to Rhaenyra, and he's making Rhaenyra heir. What makes this decision fascinating is, A... 
um, as his voice in the small council. A lot of heavy lifting to do with the realm. We started this episode with the realm rejecting a woman. So now that a woman is being named heir over, we don't know how the realm feels about Damon, but a strong, powerful, badass Targaryen with a dragon is probably like a favorite pick. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think the realm would hate Damon for any, probably love Damon. Like they, they, he's like the stereotypical fucking badass. Yeah. And so, um, but what, what makes this decision fascinating is it's so emblematic of Viserys as a character. It's not because he thinks Rhaenyra is the best for the job. It's not because this is like a, a sober thought. He's thought about it for a few weeks and come to this decision. He's saying all the right things. Like, I, while I was pushing for an heir for so long, I fucked up because I could have just been you the whole time. And like, it's just the whole thing was futile and Emma could be alive. And he's saying all the right things. But this just kind of happened because Damon said something he didn't like and he sent Damon away. You know what I mean? Like, it's all happening for such a stupid fucking reason that it's like, Viserys, come on, man. Like, make a decision. Like, say it with your chest, you know? Yeah, and, like, he finds a way to justify it, I think, to himself because Rhaenyra gives him, like, the right answer to his philosophical question. It's like, what do you see when you look at the dragons? And she basically says, like, they're not us they're like gods we are just men and and that pleases him enough that he's able to be like okay well now it's my choice and he can't really like admit that he backed himself into a corner yeah yeah he fucked it up like this would have been so authentic if he had done this before emma died and before damon had said that shit but now this yeah. is just an impulsive even if he gets to the right answer even if even if air equals rhaenyra was the right answer the math he did with the other was the wrong math it was fucked up math <laughs> right and so yeah but that's where we're at we end this episode rhaenyra is the heir we'll see how that goes obviously that's a decision that will bear out over the course of this season um and then people are bowing so the lords of westeros has to have to come that to come from their castles wherever they live um probably pretty fucking annoying that they all just came here for this tournament and they all like were almost certainly on the way home before they got sent back Right, we don't have a timeline here, but it, if this happened within a couple of days, it's probably less annoying. But if this happened like a month later, you're like, oh, I just got fucking home, man. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Um, but yeah, all, are like, come on, dude. All the important people are here, and some of them enthusiastically bend the knee, and some of them, uh, Borman Baratheon, uh, the other High Tower dude, uh, the high, the older High Tower, but the one that's in charge of High Tower, that's not Otto. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember his name right now. Um, mm -hmm. A little more reluctant than some of the other people. Bend the knee. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, it's going to be interesting because a lot of enthusiastic knee benders, a lot of unenthusiastic knee benders, and a, a weird choice from Viserys here. Um, so we'll see. Does he put in the work to make this work? Or does he just throw Rhaenyra to the wolves? Who the fuck knows? Um, we'll find out, hopefully starting in episode two. Do you have anything else to add to the water cooler before we move on? That isn't the small balls. I I want to talk about the small council balls. for <laughs> Which are different from what the men at the tournament were fighting with. Right, that's exactly right. I just want to say about the small balls. I love the idea that the small council has a sign-in, sign-out system. I think it's good. I think it's good from a management point of view to have a, this is the opinion I'm giving you as part of my job. And this is the opinion I'm giving you as a lord. Because these people have two, like, Otto is simultaneously a lord from House Hightower in the Reach and has those predispositions and and things that he's looking out for he's also the hand of the king and these things don't align well so having like this is the advice i'm giving you in my role as hand of the king and this is my advice that i'm giving you in my role as someone who is taking the high towers and my family into account i think it's healthy to have 
the, even the semblance of that distinction. Uh, the fact that it just doesn't fucking matter, though, and everyone's giving advice to Viserys whenever they fucking can, regardless of whether the ball's in the hole or not, is fucking silly. So the, the balls are dumb. I fucking love the idea of them, but they're dumb. They don't work. Fuck it. Fuck the balls. They're just, they're visually funny. I like the sound they make when they clock in. I like how they're unique. Like, I do wonder, do you get to paint your own? Does someone paint it for you? <laughs> like, Or is it stone? Is the each ball does each ball does each position have a ball? So like the master of laws always says the master of law ball. Who knows? And like how important are they? Because not important. That's Viserys my whole problem is, with them. No, but one of Viserys's Kingsguard like put the ball in for him, which oh, implies they, that Viserys doesn't have it in his possession. So, like, how really important to the meeting is it if Viserys isn't carrying it around? I think they pretend it's important. Uh, it's we, do this we do this shit all the time like the same way in, in our meetings we pretend it's important that people have their camera on during a zoom meeting like, you know what I mean like we just pretend it's important it's not actually important we just pretend it is it's just like there's a lot of things that we just pretend are important just for formality's sake right yeah. so yeah I, I'm, I'm with it as an idea as a concept I'm just like oh man they don't actually follow the rules of the small balls but we're gonna move on we are doing so good for time. We've been doing this for two hours. We're going to finish by two and a half hours, which is perfect. That oh, That's so efficient for us. We're doing so well. <laughs> Greens versus blacks. Slightly spoilery point number three in our podcast, but I trust that that's not too spoilery. We're calling it Greens versus Blacks, a weekly debate where Rachel and I each take a side of an argument, regardless of whether we believe in that side of the argument and try and argue from the character's point of view in the show, today's conflict, there are many you could pick for this. We have chosen, should Rhaenyra have been made the heir of the Seven Kingdoms? Rachel is taking the position of the Greens of Otto Hightower in defending Rhaenyra's uh, appointment as the heir, as that was, again, Otto Hightower's fucking suggestion. I would like to point out that it is the Green position that Rhaenyra was a better heir. And it was his idea. So Rachel is taking the position of defending Rhaenyra as heir. I am taking the position of defending Damon as heir, which is awkward for me because I don't believe in it. But I'm going to try <laughs> my best. One of us is a lawyer. One of us argues with children <laughs> on a day-to-day -day basis. So we're both coming into this with very differing backgrounds and arguing and how good we are at it. Rachel, as you are taking the green position... We will allow the person taking the green position to pick whether they go first or second. Let's give us like 45 seconds to make our argument. It doesn't need to take too long. Hmm. All right. I'll I'll try and go first, but I I I must have had notes for this at one point, but they are gone. So we're going to wing it. I just together. wing it. Like less than a minute. Why should Rhaenyra be the heir and not Damon? So when we come into this world, we're reminded that at the Great Council, that it was a possibility that a woman could be named heir. Uh, Jaehaerys considered it, and he would have allowed it if that had that was what the democracy had voted on. Because, again, it was a democratic vote at the Great Council. So we start to see a precedent that it's possible for a woman to be heir. And then as we move forward, as time goes on, so too must the law evolve. And it only makes sense that in the absence of a direct male descendant, that your firstborn female child should be made heir. Viserys doesn't have a male child. And the <laughs> his next descendant is Damon, who is incredibly unpredictable, would not be safe on, on the throne. And you just couldn't trust him to do what was best for the realm. It's consistent with both the development of law in Westeros 
and with the idea that your successor should be your direct heir, that Rhaenyra uh, be made heir. Wonderful argument. Seamlessly putting your modern lawyering opinion on the <laughs> on the um, no, enhancement. No, I argue with children for a living. The <laughs> development of uh, law, which is more of a real world concept than it is a Westerosi <laughs> one. But with Otto's opinion that Damon's a shithead and Rhaenyra is better tempered for it anyway. All right, it's time to defend Damon. Look, people, do you want this fucking teenage girl to be in charge? If Viserys chokes on something tomorrow, we want fucking Rhaenyra. I'm a badass war vet with a dragon, okay? I would be in charge. You want, like, look, I've had King's Landing for two days. You know what's not happening in King's Landing? Crime, period. It's all done. No more crime. If I can eliminate crime in two days, you know what I could do for the Seven Kingdoms? Right, the history of the Seven Kingdoms, in its golden in its golden ages, has been ruled by middle-aged men who are badass warriors with Valyrian steel swords and fucking dragons. And I fit the bill perfectly. Never has there been a ruler more suited, or never has there been a person more suited to the stereotypical ruler Westeros needs than me, Daemon Targaryen, which is why I should be the heir to the Seven Kingdoms and not. My 15-year-old niece. What the? <laughs> That's my defense of Damon. He's a badass warrior. And look, the people love badass warriors. And like the yeah. the initial king, badass warrior. Like the only reason the Iron Throne exists, badass warrior with a motherfucking dragon came and said he mm. was in charge. So we're following with tradition. And I, as we all know, I love tradition. I'm a tra- <laughs> tradition is great. I don't think we should change anything ever. We should just keep badass yeah. people with penises and dragons in charge of everything forever till the end of time. And that mm, will never be a bi- that'll never be a bad decision and nothing will ever go wrong. So you know what? Yeah. Damon Targaryen for heir to the Iron Throne. <laughs> for heir. I I sorry, I didn't mean to laugh like almost the whole way through, but you were phrasing it. It was almost like a I was Damon. Um, I was taking it out. Damon Targaryen for like student class president. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Vote for me and recess will be five minutes longer. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll get pizza twice a week. That's right. All right. Um, yeah, that was good. Wonderful. Section number four. By the way, if you're listening, I didn't make this obvious up top. We split this into seven sections because Game of Thrones' main religion is the seven-pointed star. So we're on <laughs> point four. I'll make this more clear at the beginning of episode two because no one knows what the fuck is going on. But we're in section four that we've called Dragon Stuff. I put no notes for this, which is weird. Do you have any dragon-related things to talk about? Uh, the one important one is I just really want to see Balerion. I We've only seen his skull now in both Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. I know Balerion was Viserys' dragon for a very short period of time. I just want to see him in live action. Like, he's the Black Dread. He's, a, he's the most badass of the badass dragons. I just want to see him. I like how this, this, I do love how this is the first episode of Game of Thrones in a show about dragons that just gives you fucking cool ass dragons just doing dragon shit. And immediately you're like, not good enough. I want the, I want the magnum opus dragon. I want the badass, like Cyrax, Caraxes, fuck off. We didn't even talk about Caraxes. Let's just talk about Caraxes. What I like about this show, here's what I'll say about the dragons. Um, I do want to see Balerion. I will allow this show to give me other cool dragons because I am yearning for just any dragons on my television screen. Um, I do like the commitment to making them different. Like big red noodly boy Caraxes is so different than Cyrax. The one's yellow, one's red, visually interesting to to figure out. 
right but just the the model is different the dragon's builds are different the sizes are different they they have different sounds and different ways they fly and like it's just so this the commitment to making each dragon distinct and unique even little things that the average viewer might not notice i think i i commend that because um i did like the dragons in game of thrones when they weren't getting fucking killed because daenerys forgot about the iron fleet for no reason um but they were three identical dragons doing identical dragony things and only drogon was really distinct because he's the only one we got to see do cool shit most of the time um so yeah i just like that there's a lot of dragons but they're all distinct like they didn't settle for we'll give them 20 dragons they're yeah. like we'll give them 20 cool unique different dragons which i appreciate yeah and i like that it, it i i find that a little in a lot of fantasy people distinguish dragons by changing their color or something like really obvious about them, their like eyes how or their, something, yeah. or their tails look. But like in House of the Dragon, as you get to see the dragons and however many more of them there may be, um, but you, like even their faces are shaped differently. Like they're clearly based off of a different, like they have a different inspiration. These are different um not species but it um almost like a different breed like there are different breeds of dogs yeah they look like completely different dragons the 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 similarities they fly and they breathe fire but visually they're so distinct so i really like that they they dove into the lore on that and they produced uh our beautiful flying babies wonderful point number five nits to pick just a really brief discussion about just real Things that we don't need to bring up during the podcast because they're not actually that big a deal. They don't ruin the show for us. They don't cause us any grief. Any of those things we'll mention in the in the water cooler when we talk about the episode. But just things that happen that you're like, oh, come on. Um, I have two nits to pick. I've already picked my nit about the small council balls, so I'll move on from that. I've already talked about them. The fucking rules of this tournament are infuriating. I here's the problem is I'm usually like, I'm not an engineer or anything. I love, I love the earth and like the world and humanity is like an abstract concept. And I, I love that. Like I don't need structure in my life very often to just thrive. However, I am a sports person. If you know one thing about me listening to this is that I am just a sports person. Any sport, I'm just like, my genetics and my brain are just clued into wanting to watch people compete doing things. Hockey, soccer, cricket, baseball, curling, darts, fucking give me anything, I'll love it. Formula One, I will watch cars go in fucking circles for a hundred years just to see who could do it the fastest. I love sports. And to love sports, you need to know the fucking rules of the sport. It is very fundamental that competitions have a r- rules that everybody is following or else what the fuck is the point of doing it? Now, in the tournament, I'm okay with Damon taking out the horse clearly within the rules, even though we don't get told the rules of the just, and no one reacts when Damon goes to get the favor. I was like, what the fuck? He just cheated. It's, I think it's foul play. You're not meant to do it, but it's within the rules. The fight, why are people fighting with real swords? And why is Damon allowed to use a Valig? If you're going to have, like, the whole thing with the joust is the horses aren't equal. You can choose your horse. But, like... Like, the, the sticks are pretty equal. Like it's a pretty equal thing. Like, all things considered, as long as you're a lord with nice armor going against another lord with nice armor, you are winning mostly via skill. And the horse and the armor and the jousting pole or whatever, are they, they can provide a small advantage or disadvantage, depending on your station, your rank, your wealth, whatever. But it's a skill-based thing. The best warriors win the most. The worst warriors lose. And that's how you end up with the best warriors at the end of the... Like, it seems like the tournaments are a reliable way of finding the best warriors in the land, and everyone seems to be agreed on that. So, 
At the end of the joust, it's clearly within the rules that if the joust is a draw or someone loses, they can request to fight with swords. That's great. What the fuck is going on with the sword? Like, Damon gets to use his Valyrian steel sword, which canonically just fucks up everything. So what the fuck? Kristen Cole is using a mace. What is going on here? There's other guys just taking people's heads off with hatchets. Like, is hat like? What kind of war? Like, are we allowed to pick our weapon? Do they have to be blunted swords? Surely they should be at least equal swords. Right? Like, even if they're... I don't know. I just... I want the rules of the joust. I, I, I need them printed out. That's my only nitpick. Yeah. Episode. I mean, I really can't help you. The extent of my knowledge on jousts comes from A Knight's Tale. Okay, well... masterpiece. <laughs> if someone could canonically give me the Game of Thrones... I don't want the real world rules of jousting either. Because that's irrelevant. I want the... I want the cano canonical... A Song of Ice and Fire wiki rules on jousting. Because I'm pretty sure it's meant to be like blunted weapons and shit, and people aren't meant to just get their heads lopped off with morning stars and Valyrian steel swords. Mm. Yeah, right. it's wild that he was allowed to bring <laughs> Dark Sister into the turn. All right, point six, maybe my favorite point. It's awards Wait, time. What about my nits? Oh, I thought you already got through them. No. Okay, sorry, really my bad. I did, I did, what? I did. Sorry, that's my bad. I skipped them on purpose because I thought we already talked about them, but we're sorry. Oh. Well, okay. One is just me being stubborn. Um, and one is a new one uh, that I realized watching the episode yesterday. I really don't like the frill on Rhaenyra's dress when they're at the tournament. It drives me crazy. I don't know why it's there. <laughs> the fair, thing on her neck. That is a real nitpick. That's a good I one. hate it. Uh, and then my other nit um, is just Otto. I just hate Otto. So just your nit to pick is just one of the main characters? Yeah. Just, just existing? <laughs> yeah. He just is a nit that you'd like to pick. Yeah. Okay. I stand by it. That's fair. <laughs> okay. Are we good to move to point six? Uh, yes. Episode awards. Rachel and I will be handing out awards each episode. Some of them will stay every episode because we think they're fun to give out, like who had the best performance. Some of them will change every episode just depending on what the vibes are because this is just fun and we have fun doing this. Our first award, the Golden Dragon Performance of the Episode Award. Uh, this is going for acting performance. Who did the best job acting their character in the episode. Um, my honorable mention, my hatchling for this award is Matt Smith as Damon. I think all the acting in the show was excellent this episode. I think Matt Smith gets a lot to chew on and him being Damon Targaryen is threading such a fine needle um, for a character that we need to love to hate and hate to love that he just perfectly executes Damon. However, I think the slightly harder job might have been Viserys. So I'm going to give my winner, my gold medal for the, my golden dragon uh, is going to uh, Patty Considine this episode for his portrayal of Viserys. You, in the Fire and Blood, Viserys is kind of just like a fat tourney king who's very uninteresting. Mm -hmm. And Patty Considine gives us so much depth to this character. You simultaneously understand he's a good person who's a bad king, but he's a bad king because he's a good person and he's really cowardly and that cowardice is relatable in that lots of people don't like making hard decisions in real life all the time. That's what they're called hard decisions and not easy decisions. But his cowardice because of the role and the world that he lives in has um, exacerbated and exponentially worse consequences for Emma and Balon than it would for you or me because our decisions we have to make are less hard and less uh, consequential 
then the king's decisions and like you're just getting all of this depth and this layering and like everything is leading to the next thing which is circling back to the first thing which is and like like he is once he has made a decision he is capable of following it through so he's not totally useless like once he decides to exile Damon and make Rhaenyra the heir he does it with his whole chest like he pulls Damon in and does the yelling and the screaming once he decides the small council meeting is not happening anymore and everyone's a fucking asshole he tells them all they're fucking assholes you know what I mean like it's a character of so many contradictions that all are incredible and amazing and you just yeah Patty Considine nailed it as Viserys so those are my awards yeah, and I think uh, this may be the only time we do this because we rarely agree. Um, but I had exactly the same. For my honorable mention, I had Matt Smith as Damon, and then I had Patty Constantine for Viserys as my winner. Um, I think it'll get more interesting down the road because, you know, a lot more stuff is going to happen. There's a lot more plot to cover, so we'll be getting a range of emotional reactions from a lot of different characters. But I think in this episode the the demands on both matt smith and patty were much higher and they really rose to that level and gave us some very nuanced performances uh so i completely agree with you all right we're gonna have to track this on a spreadsheet i want to see like who wins house of the dragon like who has the most best mm-hmm. perform you know what i mean all right yeah. the realm's delight favorite character this episode this has nothing to do with acting performance this is all vibes who was your favorite character this episode? It could be a small character, a big character, whatever. Um, I did the last one first, so you're going first. Okay, for my honorable mention for this one, uh, I put Alicent. Um, yeah, I just thought she was really sweet and really charming. Um, she's a really nice girl, but in a bad situation, just trying to do her best. Um, and I don't know. I wouldn't call her relatable because when I was 15, I wasn't put in that situation. But just like the anxiety of trying to do the right thing and then also being, you know, a good friend and a kind person. I I, I enjoyed when she was on screen. Uh, but that said, uh, all I want to do is ride dragons and eat cake. So Rhaenyra was absolutely my favorite character this episode. I thought she was engaging and fun and uh, she made me want to hang out with her. So she's our winner this week. Fair enough. Okay. Okay, we are moving on now to my picks for the Realm's Delight favorite character this episode. Okay. Here we go. I don't know why I did this. (laughs) I don't know how drunk I was when I did these notes. And that's okay. But my typing in this notepad is the same as saying final answer on who wants to be a millionaire. So here I am. My honorable mention, my hatchling for my favorite character for... No discernible reason that I can think of is Kristen Cole. I'm going to go with because he fucks up Damon. I'm a sports head. I must I must have been in sports mode when I I must have been like taking these notes while watching. uh, I will routinely watch an episode and take notes with the Premier League football matches in the background because watching 10 of those a week, sometimes you got to put them on a second screen. You can't like focus on all of them. Um, But as a sports guy, Kristen Cole coming in the lowest seed in the bracket and upsetting the number one seed Damon Targaryen with inferior equipment and a lack of rules. And the fact that other people are getting their heads smashed in, but he didn't, is impressive. So Kristen Cole, honorable mention for my favorite character this episode. But my winner, again, we rarely agree on these things. But we actually, (laughs) the next one is the best one to agree on. But this one, um, Rhaenyra is my favorite character this episode. She's an absolute delight. Um, She is, I just think you're, you're giving me angsty teenage dragon 
girl boss energy. You know what I mean? Like you're just giving that to me and I'm into it. Like Rhaenyra is awesome. She's fucking cool. Yeah. And Damon, the Damons and the Viserys's we've seen before in different shows in different ways. But the Rhaenyra's, you just, there's such a fun vibe that I'm, Rhaenyra, Miss Rhaenyra. Favorite episode, mm-hmm. favorite character of this episode for sure. Um, but for no particular reason, like you, you, you had better reasons than me. I just vibes only. Rainier. Yeah, no, it's, it's no, she's got excellent vibe. I, I said dragons and cake. It's it's just a vibe check. Yeah, my vibe check did not. My vibe check on Kristen Cole when we were rewatching this yesterday. Vibe checked out. <laughs> I'm just keeping him in because once you write it in the notes. But Ooh, you locked in. Rainier, I'm vibe checked. Worked again. Second <laughs> second time around. Okay. The best award we have come up with, the Otto Hightower Least Favorite Character Award. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, my second one, my second least favorite character is going to Damon for sporting reasons in the notes. Um, but this is just for all the sporting reasons I've already mentioned. I don't want to take up too much of your time. He's kind of cheating at the he's kind of cheating at the sports, and I don't like when people cheat at sports. Um, you can call him the Houston Astros of uh, jousting or dueling. But the winner, the winner of the Otto Hightower Least Favorite Character Award goes to Otto Hightower for fucking <laughs> sucking. He sucks. Fuck this guy. He's a, I want to be clear, great act, so well portrayed by Reese Fonz. Such a great character. So well written. I hope he's on my screen in every episode till the end of time because he's so compelling to watch. But fuck this fucking motherfucker. Honest to God, this guy sucks. I hate him. He's my least favorite character. It's interesting how this show does such a 180 from Game of Thrones, where it's like we're presented with the Starks and like the law and order people, and we root for them, and all these fucking incesty assholes are the ones we hate. And in this show, I'm like, all the people with dragons are cool, and Otto Hightower is just a scheming, conniving, boring old fuck. Fuck him. Mm-hmm. He's pimping out his face. Everyone's doing terrible shit, but for whatever reason, when Otto does terrible shit, I hate it more than when other people do terrible shit. So yeah, Otto Hightower, least favorite character. He wins the Otto Hightower least favorite character award. <laughs> All right, Rachel. I, I, I'm going to take exactly one guess for who wins your Otto Hightower least favorite character award. Oh, it's re- it's actually really difficult to figure out. Because yeah. uh, for this week, I chose Otto Hightower. No fucking way. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking wild, man. Yeah. <laughs> He's just... I mean, he's annoying, which is already, like, that's pretty high on my list for being my least favorite character any given week. Even if you're right, if you're annoying about it. That's the thing. Viserys does worse shit this episode. Like, what he does to Emma is unforgivable. And yet, I get to the end of this episode, and I'm like, yo, Viserys, my homie, you're not on this list at all. Like, Otto's the worst. You know what I mean? Like, he is, he he is, um, he's just a permanent fixture. (laughs) You can't remove him from this award. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll do the charade every week he we'll comes with the furniture he comes with the furniture <laughs> like he just does i will say i will excellently acted reese fans is, is wonderful uh but sometimes when you do a really really good job at portraying a garbage person people are just gonna call your character a garbage person that's right you had a you had you did have, i kind of set you up to jump to your number one you had a number two I, I had a number two. Uh, it's just the maester that was in charge during Emma's birth scene. He didn't seem very qualified or try really that hard. Um, yeah, without getting into it. He didn't, I, see, he, he didn't seem like he had put in a full day's work to make that work. No. It kind of seems no, like he gave up early. Yeah. 
he clocked out and then <laughs> there were consequences yeah. and it was uh pretty rough so but still somehow second to Otto, who didn't kill anyone that's right episode. that's the thing he's just coming <laughs> with the furniture Otto fucking sucks fuck Otto. <laughs> all right the home alone worst parent award we have a fun vibe here uh you're you're starting yeah. this time all right so uh i you know, I'm going to stand by this. I'm going to do what you did. I locked it in when I wrote this the first time. Uh, my honorable mention is actually Otto. He didn't win this the one. The second worst Otto. parent this episode. Yeah, so uh, Otto, is, as far as parenting goes, uh, he raised a shitty knight who got beat by uh, Damon. So. Oh, we know Gwen's a good guy. He just just lost to Damon. Well, he's just not. He's just not he lost to Damon who arguably guy. cheated or like loopholed the rules to beat him. Ah. Uh. Okay, well, he raised that guy. And then he also raised Allison. Um, he's clearly going through, like, a not great time because his wife is dead. Um, but then he poured his child out to get her to try and seduce the grieving king. That is real bad parenting. Uh, and is really gross. And on any other week, uh, may take may take the title. But for this episode, I actually had the Home Alone Worst Parent Award. Uh, as Viserys. Uh, I think, you know, Viserys spends a lot of time neglecting Rhaenyra uh, in the hopes of chasing an heir. Uh, and he gets his wife pregnant one last time and he actually, like, and Emma dies as a result. Um, and then he makes this terrible choice and then as they're dealing with the consequences, he basically disappears from Rhaenyra's life only to drop her with, like, the biggest burden that she's ever been faced with like right on her shoulders so um i just maybe he will do better in the future he just didn't get off to a great start on this one fair enough uh, i did the same same but different so i i just reversed <laughs> the order uh, viserys targaryen is the second worst parent this episode in my opinion mm. for all the reasons you said um i'm gonna add one reason um i just think impulsively making any one of your children the heir to an entire kingdom who may or may not accept them like on a whim because your brother pissed you off mm. is like it's not bad parenting because again i think he's doing the right math or i think he's got the right answer but the math he did to get there was fucked up and the math he did to get there was bad parenting so viserys targaryen second worst parent in this episode but Otto Hightower is just inevitable in this section of the awards. <laughs> if you are dressing up your 15-year-old daughter in her dead mother's gown to send her to seduce a grieving king the day that his wife has died, you are winning the worst parent of the episode award. All right, moving on. <laughs> the hottest pie <laughs> award for the scene that you most wish Hot Pie was in. If you have not watched Game of Thrones and don't know who Hot Pie is... This is going to be problematic for you. Um, the scene I most wish that we could have seen Hot Pie in this episode um, was the fealty scene at the end. I would have loved to see Lord Hot Pie of the Inn um, swearing his fealty to Rhaenyra. I just, that would have been such a fun way to slot Hot Pie into this episode. Where would you have put Hot Pie in this episode should you have been able to include him? Well, I think we saw such a fun variety of weapons on display at the tournament where I would have really loved to see Hot Pie, Hot Pie is as a participant wielding pie dishes and just clapping skulls. That would have been great for me. Wonderful. And that... that like a... <laughs> Sorry, I just said that like a newscaster. <laughs> I don't know why. No, you're all good. 
And that concludes the awards section of this podcast. We are going to point number seven. And point number seven is any book stuff we want to talk about or any spoilery stuff. There's not a lot this week, so we shouldn't be going at it for more than five or ten minutes. However, if you do not want to be spoiled for anything that happens past this episode of House of the Dragon, um, please uh, tune out of the podcast now. I'll insert a little outro thing here for you. Uh, If you are going to stick around for the spoiler section, point number seven of our seven-pointed star here, please press the 15-second skip-ahead button or listen to the outro anyway because there's a bunch of important information for you. (laughs) All right, Rachel, we are here. Any book stuff or any spoiler things we wanted to talk about? I don't have much this week. I just wanted to talk about silly, silly Viserys saying tongues will not change the succession. Let them wag. Rest in paradise, Vizzy T, you dumb motherfucker, because... (laughs) Uh, tongues will change the succession. And in fact, if you had done a better job of trying to convince people that Rhaenyra uh, would have been a good queen, maybe none of this shit would have fucking happened. So you know what, Viserys? Not good enough. Yeah, a weak effort. Um, For me, uh, I know we talked about the Great Council earlier. I just thought it was a really good choice to kind of condense it. Because um, I think... George R. R. Martin does what he is want to do in his writing, which is just give you so much detail. And while it fills out the world, uh, what I think is really important to take from the Great Council is that it ultimately came between a younger man and an older woman, who, if she were a man, would have been first in the line of succession. Um, so I think that was a really effective choice to kind of pare it down to that and take out a lot of the like extra stuff, like even the stuff about Corliss. Because um, I know there was some money exchanging hands, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and in the book as well, it's Lenor that would be the king. Rhaenys is never oh, right. in in the book. It's never Rhaenys. Rhaenys would never be sitting on the throne herself. It was gonna be Lenor. It's whether or not it, like in the books, it's worse because it's not just deciding that a woman couldn't rule. It's kind of deciding that you can't even go through the woman to rule. Like in this one instance where the woman wouldn't even be the ruler, you would just be going through her bloodline. They were like, nope, not even that. That's too much for this one-off, like in this one-off democracy situation, we can't even abide that. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah. I think you're right, though. It's probably a good decision. I just enjoyed seeing... I think my favorite thing to see now that we've kind of caught up with House of the Dragon and we know how this first season goes, and we, I've read Fire and Blood, so I know how the rest of it's broadly going to go. Um, I loved seeing Rhaenyra and Allison just having a fun relationship, like being friends before things go to shit. Um, because later in the season, it's kind of like if you, you they they do some terrible shit to each other and really do break apart. But you kind of get the sense around episode eight or nine that like if they could just sit down and talk this out, maybe they'd find some kind of peaceable solution, even if it wasn't perfect. Yeah. Right. It's all these other fucking assholes that fuck everything up. But also it's their own children. Like they they parented them poorly. And like, by the time they're ready to make up with each other, their kids aren't ready to make up with each other so it's just all too late so i just enjoyed the alicent and rainier dynamics hit the hardest on a rewatch when you know what's going to happen between them i think yeah because i think that's that's definitely one of the weaknesses of fire and blood as a book because it is written to be like a historical retelling so just this one change makes so much of the story feel much more like emotionally engaging so that is probably like my favorite of all the changes they made is making Allison Rainier at the same age. Right. All right. Do you have any more spoiler things you want to talk about? I think I think it's best to just save up any spoilery things, like any big ones yeah. for like a end of season kind of big spoiler thing. 
Um, but I think I got all the ones that I was interested in talking about before the next episode. Yeah, I think I, I've probably said fuck auto enough times for this episode. My quote has been met. Fair enough. All right. If you're still listening into the spoiler section, thank you for being here for all three minutes of it. Not exactly a big one this week. Um, be prepared for the outro that's about to hit your ears. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you for episode two of House of the Dragon sometime in the future. Thank you.